Individually, they are a force to be reckoned with. But when they join together, they become Unplugged Radio. Prepare to be swept off your feet as Greg Person, the lover, takes the stage. But wait, what illusion is this? It is no trick. It is Jake Hutton, magician, for your viewing pleasure. Look out! The sensational sensei himself, Mike Rossi, warrior on display. Bow down and grovel at his feet as John Vanas, king, utters his decree. Welcome to another awesome episode of Unplugged Radio. I'm your host, Greg. I'm your host, Mike. And I'm your guest, Corey. Yes, one of our favorite repeat guests, Corey Reynolds, is in the house tonight. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I'll do my best to fill in for Jake. And uh, possibly John. He may or may not show up tonight, but, you know, this is a tactics episode, so we don't really need him. (laughs) (laughs) That should should be right in his wheelhouse. I was going to say, if you're filling in for Jake, I need to hear all the anime that you're watching. Ugh, never mind. Scratch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's kick it off with a hobby update. Uh, just kind of go around and talk about, obviously, we all uh, came back from the Orktown GT, and this is going to be a tactics-focused episode with uh, a breakdown of our games and whatnot. Um, but in terms of painting... I think I mentioned last time I was working on a regiment of Morax and a Morax Mansplitter for Orktown. I was able to get those finished at sort of the 11th hour. Um, They were painted almost exclusively with contrast paint. Um, They don't really have a ton of metal, um, which is one of the main areas where I deviate from it on my ogre army. But uh, the bone, uh, I used the... uh, Whatever the contrast bone color is called, it's, the name is escaping me at the moment. But I use that, and then it looks a little flat, so I do highlight that color up a bit. But all the other colors were just, you know, contrast. And uh, I think they came out pretty good, with the only exception that these are old metal miniatures, the GW Metal Savage Orcs. And I love those minis, but they have some aggressive and difficult-to-remove mold lines. And given that, one, I was working on a deadline, and two, I will probably not field this unit ever outside of Orc Town, where I will always bring Orc allies, I wasn't, like, able to really sit down and properly remove all of them. So when you look closely at them, uh, just don't. (laughs) Don't look closely at them. It gets bad. Uh, But from a table distance, they look pretty good. I don't know. You guys, I think you guys saw them at the event. What'd you think? They look just as good as your, your normal stuff. <laughs> to be honest, I couldn't even tell a difference. Yeah, me too. Actually. I, one of the nice things about the, the edition is that it is relatively seamless, right? I can't look at that and go, Oh, you painted, you painted that, that looks new. 
compared to everything else, right? Because sometimes like, you know, I, I, I've run into this with some of the stuff I painted where you can see the, the progression because some of my models are so old, right? And, and the, uh, the paint technique is, is, is uh, consistent. It looks really good. It looks like it fits. Right? Yeah, and it definitely, it definitely fits with your ogres. Thank you. Yeah, well, that, uh, I appreciate that. I've definitely been in that situation too, Rossi, where especially some of my earlier armies from the time I started to the time I finished adding units, my years had passed and my painting skills had considerably increased and then they look off, which is not a bad thing per se uh, because it's a sign of progress, but there is always a part of you that just wants everything to be consistent. So, so when you see that, Greg, do you go back and repaint the old stuff? Uh, I did once upon a time with a dwarf army, but I no longer own that dwarf army. Right. I think somebody does. Kevin Spear probably. <laughs> right. I think all my so, armies end up in Kevin Spear's possession eventually. It's he repaints sort of it for the, others. The tilt of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> I No, I re initially repainted them for myself because I was adding units and they looked considerably different from the early ones um and then kevin got it and then i painted more units for it yeah that, that was that progression yeah because I've, I've had to do that too sometimes i'll go back with some of my older stuff and be like oh that doesn't look anywhere near as what i'm doing now and i'll go back and touch up and do some highlights and some better shading and stuff just to make them look at least cohesive because sometimes the difference is dramatic <laughs> from what i painted like 10 years ago to even a couple of years ago. Yeah, and sometimes if, I mean, if the base of what you did was clean, at least, but maybe you hadn't highlighted it up as well, or like you said, like um, done enough shading, or uh, you wanted to add some sort of texture or freehand to it, if the base of what you have is is like good and applied cleanly, then it's not that much work, and it's kind of fun, because you can put in a small amount of effort, but see you know, decent results quickly. Right, right. So since returning from Orktown, now my focus is shifted to Masters, which we will all be going to. And I've got a couple of units that I need to paint up. I'm going to bring my forces of nature. And the first order of business is two regiments of Scorchwings. And I got my hands on the Mantic models. When they were first released, I think I think recently Keith was trying to track some down and having trouble. So I'm not sure if they're like currently on back order or whatnot, but I was apparently I was lucky to uh get on them right away. They're really nice models. So I, I assembled the first three. They're resin. They have a lot of flash, but it's super simple to clean up. You just can be careful that you don't if you're too aggressive or careless with it, then you end up breaking off part of the model because it's you know, it's a bird with a bunch of flames coming off of it. So some of the areas are kind of thin. And uh, there were two of the three models that had one bubble on them, which if you've ever seen a GW Finecast model, those would be riddled with like ugh, upwards ugh. of 10 bubbles. So bad. Uh, and sometimes really small. These these ones, they just had one each and they were pretty big. And because of the nature of the model, the way it's pretty heavily and interestingly textured, it was super simple to just fill those with green stuff. And then some of the, the way the wings attach, a couple of them, you could see a gap 
uh, in the shoulder. So I filled that with green stuff too. So when I put them together, people had been asking like, how was it? And I just described a process, but that isn't a criticism. Like unless it's a one piece model, or even if it is like my old Savage Orcs, like you should expect to have to do some work uh, cleaning up and putting things together. So I, I'm pleased with them. And I was able to paint up the first one as a test. And I think it came out well. Um, it doesn't match anything in my forces of nature army because <laughs> nothing else is fire. And this is, you just have to paint it fire, you know? Um, but I think that's okay. Cause the basing will obviously match. And then, you know, I, I, I think they're going to look good. I, right before we started, I was working on the multi-base for the first regiment. And uh, I think I'm going to get a couple of them into some cool positions on the base. So we'll see. I, I got a lot, a lot of work ahead to get this done for masters, but I think I can do it. Well, the first test model looks really good, Greg. And I think it's hard to make a forces of nature army look totally cohesive because all the units are really, really different. Anyway, true. Absolutely true. Corey, what have you been working on? Well, I, for Orktown, I painted up an art scene because that was the easiest way to get to 2,600 points for Orktown. Just add Archfiend and call it a day. So I had already been working on something, so I pretty much just had to finish up the base for that to get it uh, ready to go. So that was fine. Yeah. So you, so to clarify, you are definitely filling in for John right now, not Jake. Our, uh, to yeah, Ork, Ar <laughs> to that Orktown Archfiend. <laughs> add Archfiend and go. That's right. So now, same as you, Greg, I'm getting ready for Masters. Um, one thing I have been painting, which I probably don't intend to use for Masters, but um, I've got a big Titan, uh, an Emperor Dragon that's from the Titan Forge range. And the dragon is really cool, but it is humongous. But it still fits, uh, fits pretty decently on the 75 mil base. So I've been painting that up. Um, using the color scheme actually trying to duplicate the dragon from the marvel movie shang chi because it's a great movie and i love that dragon and it really fits with the theme that's that's awesome yeah so slick it, it so far it's coming along pretty well it's just painting a lot of white on a big model like that is tough <laughs> but so it's time consuming so i'm gonna have to pause on that i think while i get the, the stuff i need ready for masters so i've got some uh, Heroes Infinite 3D print uh, archers to use for blade stalkers. I got to get a regiment there painted up, and I don't think I'll need anything else because I have models from whatever else I have, depending on the list I settle into for masters. So I should be good there. And I'm also looking at some of the cool terrain that Orktown gave away. They had some 3D printed terrain as some of the prizes and some of in the in the the swag bags that they had. I'm like looking at it I was like, yeah, I want to do something with that too. So I've already been playing around with that a little bit. Yeah, I, I want a bag of just huts and walls and towers at, at Orktown. And that stuff is legit is so cool. Man, the prints are clean too, which is amazing. So I'm looking forward to painting those when I have some time. Nice. So for my hobby update, I have been um, avoiding painting as usual. And uh, I've been, uh, I recently, I'm, I'm putting the shirts together for the master's team. So I pulled those together. I came up with a, came up with an idea um, and uh, 
you know, got all the graphics together and I'm, I got to call around to the print shops in town to try to get something done pretty quick. But, uh, you know, I ran it by the team. The team seems to like the idea. It, it'll be cool. We so. do. And that certainly counts as hobby for sure. <laughs> right. It's the kind of hobby I'm, I'm, I'm used to doing these days, to be honest. Yeah. And or- it's an, it's important hobby. I did the shirts last year. I, I can tell you that it's, if you want to make a good showing at Masters, and I, I you know, I believe we do. Then you you've got to really spend the time to make something memorable with your shirts. And we typically spend way more mental effort on the shirts than we do on the gameplay. Then on the list design, yes. <laughs> very true. Let's be honest. <laughs> Unless it's Keith, Keith says way more time on the list design, which is why he's the man. No, I, I think with there. Keith it's right. equal time. He just puts a lot of time <laughs> thinking everything through. So it's right. not like he, it's not like he doesn't care about the shirts. Right. Quite methodical. <laughs> but that's about it for me. I mean, besides that, it just it when it comes to after the last tournament of the year, a lot of my time is spent getting, you know, pulling the team together, getting the logistics set, getting the, you know, even something as simple as shirts. But, you know, when are you getting into town? Make sure we're all still at the same place. I mean, I used to do a lot more of that babysitting stuff, but I kind of I've come to realize that most of you guys are adults. So I don't have to do it, which is good, right? But there's still that drive in me to be sure that everybody's kind of set and everybody's going to be okay. So Absolutely. you know, that's that's a big part of it. It certainly know? helps helps for team cohesion, right? We all we're all on the same page. We're all doing stuff with each other. So we appreciate the coordination. Cool. So does that mean you you don't need to paint anything for masters? Is that what I'm understanding right now? It's it if you only take it the same army every year, then no, I. Uh, I don't have to paint anything for Masters. What I do have to do is um, once Masters is done, um, I, I have, I'm, so you pack everything up, you move into your new house, and then you rush to do it, which means you're throwing things indiscriminately into tubs. And now I'm unpacking stuff and going, where does this live? Where does this live? And the uh, plan will be to uh, do some painting probably with my, with my stepdaughter over the summer so that'll be nice very cool she's interested so we'll see that's about it yeah that's good stuff so i wanted to talk about books today before we get into the main topic i've been reading a book that i'm really really loving um and so i wanted to talk about it it's called the hacienda by isabel canas and if it's okay with you guys. Uh, I want to pitch the book to everybody, okay. to the two yeah. of you and our listeners, but it does require a little bit of a, a brief history lesson. I go for it. All My right. real house. All right, beautiful. So this this novel came out this year. It's uh, the first novel by this author, and I believe her background is in history. So it's set in uh, Mexico in 1823. And it is a historical fiction slash horror novel. So it's a blending of two genres that I really enjoy. And I also just uh, am particularly interested in Latin American history. It's what I studied it as an undergrad. So 1823 is two years after Mexico gained their independence. And you need to understand a little bit about like Mexican society at the time in history to really appreciate 
the novel, which I imagine not all of our readers have that. So I'm going to give it to you, real condensed version. If you're interested, you can do more research on your own. Uh, and then I'll tell you about the book and, and perhaps it will spark your interest just like it did to me. So Spain colonized Mexico, right, in 1521. And they did this by defeating the Aztec Empire, which was the largest and most powerful uh, group of indigenous folk in central Mexico at the time. So when the Spanish took over the land, they set up what was called the encomienda system by order of the king. So all the conquistadors, the Spanish soldiers that had emerged victorious, um, sort of as a reward, they were granted land and people, the indigenous people, to work on that land. And they were essentially slaves. Um, the letter of the law was supposed to be, you know, they were taking care of them and going to educate them in Christianity uh, to save their souls. I'm saying that in air quotes. Um, and on those encomiendas, these large pieces of land, they would set up haciendas, which is, uh, it had different forms of basically like a ranch, the equivalent of like a plantation in the American South. So they would grow different agricultural crops and the indigenous people would provide the labor that was eventually supplemented by enslaved Africans who were brought over in the Atlantic slave trade. Um, they also had silver mines, which is how Spain made a lot of money. Uh, but over time, these three groups, the Spanish, the indigenous Americans, and the enslaved Africans all intermixed, especially at the beginning, it was overwhelmingly men from Spain that were coming. So it was kind of inevitable that this was going to happen. Um, and in what they called New Spain in Mexico, they became obsessed, well, the at least the Spanish did, with classifying people and putting them into what were called castas, which was like their race system. And the four main castas that existed at the top were the peninsularis, the most powerful meaning that they came from the peninsula. They were born in Spain and came to New Spain. Below them were the criollos, which were um, people who were fully Spanish, but they were born in uh, the colony. Beneath them were mestizos, who were people who were mixed of Spanish and usually indigenous descent. And then beneath them, the indigenous and then the enslaved Africans. Uh, but that eventually expanded to over 40 different castas. And they- 40? You could look what? it up. It's it's madness. Yeah. Most of Latin America had like really different um, and super um, like granular systems of race. Like Haiti, for example, had over a hundred different racial categories. It's just madness. But yeah. you could look up the Casta paintings and see, and these were commissioned by the government and they would have like paintings of a parent, the two parents and the child. And it would tell you like the combination, the mixture of like, if your parents are this and this, then you are this. Uh, and it was important to those in power for maintaining that power, right? Keeping right. it consolidated in a small group of people and also like denying rights to others. Sure. So um, fast forward to the 1800s with the independence movement that is mostly led by the Criollos who resent that they don't have as much power, right, as the peninsulares. But there were mestizos and indigenous and Africans who all engaged in this. And of course, there were various like factions that were fighting for control from Spain. In 1821, they're successful. Um, they set up their own government. Again, there's like a 
pretty long period of infighting between the different groups and the different interests before they eventually settle into a stable government. So novel takes place in 1823. And one of the main characters, she is a mestiza, and she's the daughter of an important revolutionary general. And he was a military commander. Her family lived in Mexico City. She's a young woman, 20. And uh, at first, things are great. They're living a very, you know, comfortable and important life in the capital. But uh, his faction uh, at, within the revolution gets betrayed. They're no longer in favor. And her father gets, like, essentially killed by a mob. And now her family is destitute. Her and her mom, are killed. they lose the, the mansion that they were living in. And they're forced to rely on whatever charity they can find from one uncle who kind of resents their existence. So they're living in a, a very bad situation. She meets right at the beginning of the novel. Uh, she meets this man who is an hacendado. So he, he's the, the head of an hacienda. He's very, very wealthy. Um, and on the hacienda, they uh, grow agave, the cactus, which is used for tequila and mezcal, but also what they create there is called pulque, which is an alcoholic drink that was very popular at the time in Mexico. And he is looking for a wife. And you wouldn't think that our main character is, uh, you know, anyone that people would look at because of her father. But he is also not somebody that anyone is interested in because his first wife has recently vanished, perhaps died. There's mysterious circumstances. No one really knows. So they're actually a good partnership because he needs a wife and she needs a way out of this situation where, you know, her mom is getting older and uh, can't continue living like this. So they get engaged and she goes back to the countryside to the Hacienda with him. And it's Hacienda San Isidro. And immediately you get the sense that like there's some problems. The actually like the main house that they live in is in a state of disrepair. And none of the servants want to go in it. Uh, they have like a town uh, out from the main estate where they live. And then there's the all the agave plants. There's a, you know, a chapel there. But they, they, they don't want to go in, and it's in a state of disrepair. And nobody wants to talk about the first wife. They don't even want to mention her name. Oh, that's or, that Cthulhu story stuff, right? A little I mean, it's, it's, the set, it's the same setup, right? Yep, a little odd. Yep, cool. So things, things are okay. Like, she's not in love with this guy, uh, but she doesn't hate him. Um, and she's thinking that, like, her job is going to be to fix up the house. And make it nice for her mom to be able to come and move in. And this is kind of her dream. But it's going to be a lot of work. And he's also got this sister that he never told her about. An older sister who uh, is single and kind of runs the, manages the servants. And uh, they don't get along at all. So it's very tense when she's around. Then business for him comes up in the capital. So he's got to leave. And as soon as he leaves, uh, some freaky paranormal stuff starts going on <laughs> and uh it just kind of escalates from there so it's like a, a story of essentially a haunted house 
but the house is an hacienda set in Mexico right after the revolution. Uh, sure. And the stuff that happens, it's, it's really good. Uh, you know, it's not, it's a little bit of a jump scare, not much. It's more like just unsettling the types of things that are going on. And yeah, as you learn like the history of the Hacienda and, you know, eventually obviously the truth about the, um, the first wife and you introduced to another one of the main characters who's a, a priest, but he's also a witch. Um, it's yeah, it, it, it just like wraps you in more and more. And it's a really cool blending of the history of the time period with this horror slash fantasy element. Um, and I, I loved it. So if, so if any of that sounded interesting to you, I would encourage you to check it out. Yes. They should pay you to do the sales pitch for these, Greg. Very good. <laughs> so uh, Hacienda with an H? Yeah. H-A-C-I-E-N-D-A. Uh, -E Got it. Awesome. By Isabel Cañas. That sounds Sweet. worth the read. I know, right? Corey, what are you reading? Or media or whatever. I am slowly working my way through the Wax and Wayne series. The follow-up to Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. So that's been really good, but I'm slowly making my way through it. So I'm on the second book now. I really like... Have you read You read that, Mike, right? No, I have not read the, the second one, the second uh, trilogy or whatever it is. Okay. I read yeah, the first, so but really, I haven't read Skipping Forward, yeah. Yeah, so it's really interesting because right, it's in the same universe. It's couple hundred years after the events of Mistborn. So all the characters from Mistborn are referenced as deities or significant historical figures in the in the current trilogy. And, and it's more of a urban wild west type of environment. So it's definitely it's definitely different than Mistborn, but it's kind of follows the same rules, the same powers still exist so that's it's good and it's a great follow-up to mistborn so so far i'm really liking it it's definitely worth the read if you if you read mistborn and like that nice i it's on my list of things to tackle this summer actually i mean there's no reason for me not to do it right Corey's owns them so i might as well grab them yeah i like the idea that it's set like you said a hundred years or so after the previous trilogy and you you still obviously get those references to what happened, but it's a new story, but it's still building on the world. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, so that's a neat take. That's cool. Yeah, that, and I don't know if there's enough stories set in that, that technology era, right? And, and that's what frame, I like but... about it, too. Yeah, it's definitely different, right? It's not steampunk. It's urban, Wild West. I don't know if you've kind of seen uh, the cartoon Korra. Legend of Korra. Yeah. It's yep. similar to that. Okay. Awesome. That's cool. And that's a good reference too. As much as I make fun of Jake for anime like that, that resonates. That's good. Listen, we all watched Avatar. We know. Yeah. Cause it was great. Amen. So, uh, I'm, I'm finishing up the, uh, the Infernal Battalion, the last book in the, um, the the shadow campaign series by Django Wexler, it's great. I'll say it again. It's you know it's it's uh, Napoleonic era warfare with demons. Okay, cool. Sign me up, right? Um, so yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, 
I'm listening to uh, a podcast right now uh, called Against the Rules. Um, and it talks about, uh, nominally, the, the, the tagline is it talks about uh, the death of fairness or how unfair life is for you know modern Americans. But it dives into the first season was about um, referees in um, the financial sector, referees at, you know, at, in our work, that kind of thing, and how we're, we're losing faith in our referees in the, in the neutralness of the arbiter, right? Um, the, third ep- the third season, and there are like seven episodes a season. The third season is about the death of expertise, how we refuse as Americans to listen to experts, and where did that start, and why did we start doing that? And that resonates with me as a technocrat myself, right? you know, being argued every, every time when I'm at work and someone says, we should ask the public what they think. I'm like, please don't, please don't. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? right. right. Yeah. I mean, I, I work in transportation engineering and I'm just, I, every time I've talked to people, they're like, I mean, they don't say it, but if every bridge fell down, they wouldn't care as long as the ones that got to the work were still up. Like that's, that's pretty much the attitude. You know, I want it free. I want it perfect. And why aren't you doing it? So, you know, it's it the, the, the idea that the uninformed opinion is as good as my expertise, right? So, but it's it's really well done. Um, it's done by the guy who wrote Liar's Poker back in the late 80s um, that talked about, that kind of exposed like what was going on on Wall Street. And, uh, you know, he's had a long writing career. It's called Against the Rules and it's really good. It's really good. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah. So talking about pod- is, uh how long is each episode, Mike? Like forty minutes, forty-five nice. minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 really, really accessible, really accessible stuff. Yeah, there's That's a podcast that I've been I've been checking on too lately. It's uh, called Plain English with Derek Thompson. Okay. It's it's more about current events and it's a smart take. Uh, again. I don't have enough time to keep up on everything, but it's a nice synopsis of different things going on currently, right? Okay. And usually has a, a an expert in the area that they're talking about. It's a good listen. It's nice. They usually do one episode a week. They've covered different things like inflation, Ukraine war, U.S. housing market, Amber Heard, all this weird Sure, thing. right? It's, yeah. It's, it's an interesting take, and they're usually talking about the – event of the week or something like that that's a a worthwhile podcast if you want to listen to something along those lines too i'm I'm down with anything comes out weekly right and and the same thing it's like 40 minutes an episode so it's easily easily digestible sure all right that sounds great let's uh take a break and when we come back we'll dive into the orktown gt love it talk about the Orktown GT. Mike, what was the Orktown GT? The Orktown GT was an amazing testament to the greatness that is the New England War Kings. 
held out in uh, Cape Cod, uh, Massachusetts. Um, and it was 2,600 points. So the largest GT that we have in the area, um, run by the indomitable Skull Face, uh, otherwise known as his human persona of K2. Um, and it was an awesome time. It was an amazingly well-run event, and it was awesome. And if you haven't been, you should go. And if you went in the past, why weren't you there? It was great. Yeah, I know we've talked about uh, Orktown before. This was the third time they've run it. And I believe that at least at the first one, we did some recording live at the event. Um, but let's just kind of run through a few of the specifics as to why Orktown is so special. So we could start with the tables. They have... Uh, tailored each table to represent a different uh, area in their like shared universe they made, working Landia, and sort of expanded beyond now to, I don't know, there's a master map somewhere. It's all confusing, but it's not confusing when you're there because the table will tell you where it's set. There's a little uh, printout and it'll have the whole story of the, the area and the terrain is you know tailored to match that area and the whole club came together to put those together. So that is one thing that stands out. What else? The prizes, the trophies, second to none, right? Second to none. The, the, the humor that goes into those prizes, it is a riot when you see them in person. So this is my first orc town going to, and you walk and you start looking at the prize table, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And these guys all made the trophies for Masters when we did it in New York. So everybody that's come to Masters, they know, they they see the kind of quality that these guys can put out. And they, that's what yeah. you get at Orktown, too. They got a little bit of a taste. They went to, I mean, K2 kind of told us right at the front, because there wasn't an Orktown last year. They've they've had all of this bottled energy and ideas and enthusiasm. like, And it all came flowing out for this event. So... There were so many awards, so many awards right? given out, right? Uh, and they were did, all. Did, did, did everybody get like a fourth place award, even for some of the, basically some of the category? Yeah, it was pretty yeah. awesome. And they were I all mean, custom made. I mean, you gotta look online. Um, if you go, I'm sure on many different places you can see these things. I will tell you that. I will post them on uh, the Unplugged Radio Instagram. So if you join me on there, uh, you can see those. But I'm sure on Facebook and other platforms. It, so many, all so beautiful in their own way. The, the best overall, the highest prize, right, was a custom-built guitar that they then painted with Skullface. And it, it beautiful, bright reds and greens, masterfully yeah, it's done not, it's not like a garbage paint job right it's no legitimately no like really a legitimate beautiful paint job skull face orktown gt 2022 like it just and to what k2 said the the guitar will play you could plug it in and play it it's an electric guitar just don't expect the sound to be uh you know on tune in tune right in tune exactly <laughs> which is also, appropriate i feel also like. fitting yeah exactly Right, the acts of Orktown. But it, it, you can win that. You can win a, a Moontian ray gun. There was a diorama of Skullface in Hell. 
with oh, the lights in the back. It was so cool, <laughs> right? Um, this there was, and then there was just a, a a table full of medals. So you know, just come on up, and you you've been awarded the third rank, you know, in the Orktown Militia. This is for you with the prize red on red. Like no problem, man. All good. It's so amazing, right? And and, and then, don't forget about the mascot or. Oh, oh yep. my god. <laughs> So any, anybody that, was that his name, yeah, Rags? Yeah, it was Rags. Rags. Anybody yep. saw the, the matchup video that they did? They had this mannequin, like mocked up mannequin goblin <laughs> with a lab coat on. And it was about three feet tall. It was terrifying and hilarious at the same time. Yep, and you could you could move you had a little lever to operate its mouth. So they were using yep. it. It was a puppet. Puppets. It was definitely yep. a puppet. Yeah, so between amazing. Doug and the Great Con, Rags was running all over the place, right? Causing trying to trouble. pick your pocket, causing trouble, hanging yeah. out, making fun of you. It was amazing. Yeah, my wife thought he was just out of this world. She loved it. And as if those things weren't enough, uh, it turns out that Skullface is quite the collector of retro video games, and at the venue. He had set up uh, a beautiful old um, TV with an NES and a bunch of games that you could play. And I believe there was, I didn't see anyone using it. It looked like an old computer turned on its side and then connected to like arcade type components. Did you, did you guys even, that was like tucked in the corner. Yep. I saw that. And, uh, the hangout that he opened up his, his home to everybody on uh Saturday amazing. night. Yeah. It was, and amazing. that was, that was uh, even more. You're walking through a bunch of old arcade machines, a bunch of other systems set up, just very cool, uh, unique part again to the event to, to have that aspect of gaming represented. It was great. And the venue yeah, and the venue was really great too. Right. Cause they, so they did it at the Cape Cod curling club. Tons of space, like leather couches there off to the side, just sit and hang out. Like you said, around the video game consoles with old 1970s Godzilla movies playing in the background. So awesome. Really, yeah, really a cool yeah. setting and just a great place to hang out and just relax, you know? Right. And $3 beers and just a really just remember, like at the end of Saturday, there was a cocktail hour. Right. And so essentially that that was why don't you go out to the bar? First round is on is on uh, is on Joe, and everybody get a shot of something, and we all yeah you, know, you get a commemorative shot glass with Skullface's face on it. It was amazing. It was so, just so inviting and so cool, and I, I cannot stress it enough. It is one of the best events in our region, right? It is. It oh, really yeah. is. It, it's just oh, yeah. amazing. And as Corey mentioned, he, I mean, Melissa was able to go and uh, and have a good time. It was in Falmouth. Massachusetts, it's you know, be on the Cape for four days. Okay, cool. Yeah, right. Very family friendly destination for you to bring whoever you want. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of people's families were there and walking around throughout the weekend. And you're right, it was just that kind of event. Yeah, it was yep. it was so so cool and low key but still competitive. But everybody was chilling. I it was it. I loved it. I loved it. Yep. And K two set the vibe early, right when he says. Don't take this too seriously. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So just to build off of the, you mentioned the, 
the first round of shots and everybody got a shot glass. We also got a coffee mug and there were multiple um, Orktown and Skullface memes to pick from on those coffee mugs and right. a, a swag bag that had a bunch of random hobby related items in there, including everybody got a, what Corey was mentioning, a 3D printed piece of terrain. Yeah, so it was really quite you were You were literally just showered in in gifts and joy as you walked through the door. Right? <laughs> I, it is funny. I, I brought the mug home, and, and my wife was like, what is that? And I'm like, that's skull face, and he's curling. She's like, who's skull face? I'm like, you got to come out to Cape Cod. Let, let me tell you. Let me regale you with the stories. Right? But it just, I mean, just to, just to piggyback on that, the War Kings are amazing hosts. And K2 set the tone. He did a fantastic job. Um, and it was really great. I mean, it's, we, they weren't able to do it last year. You know, they, the COVID hit. And the next thing you know, we couldn't do the Mutgopolis, right? So instead, we had to wait until now. And it was so great to see everybody again. I was just so happy, right? And just it was, it was the perfect event. It was the perfect event to start right. the summer. And you could tell it's a labor of love for that club right everybody's fingerprints are all over that you can see everybody's type of their melody how it plays in and what they do and what they contribute so that was really awesome so now that we've convinced you to sign up for orktown next year dude you better <laughs> no doubt find a way no. find a way uh let's get into a little bit of the games i mean uh I'll just go ahead and say it. We we wanted Corey to come on today because he was the recipient of the coveted acts of Orktown. His extremely coveted with newly uh, painted Archfiend smashed the competition and rose to the top. So we want to hear about your games and a little bit about the the schmucks on the lower tables. Me and Mike. <laughs> oh God! Nice. <laughs> So so to, so let's start. So Corey, what did you take for a list? What was your list of twenty six hundred points? Yeah, so twenty six hundred points. So I wanted to take some stuff that you don't would normally take, right? So I took the Twilight Kin. That's what I've been using this year. So I started with two units of Impalers, uh, one with the Brewer Strength, and I really rate Impalers high. I mean, I think they are what a standard fighty infantry regiment should look like. The 15 attacks is a nice, solid point for a regiment. Um, Fury helps them deal with the lowish nerve. So it's I, I like them a lot. Uh, I got two units of Twilight Kin Glade Stalkers. They're great. Nobody needs to know how great they are. Uh, one horde of the Blade Dancer Neophytes with the Hammer of Measured Force. I got two uh, Cronebound Gargoyle Troops. I've got one unit, uh, one troop of Shadowhounds. Again, something that you wouldn't normally take, but I figured at 2,600 can do take some things that are a little wacky and do do something different. Uh, I've got a regiment of fiends and a horde of fiends with the brew of sharpness. And the regiment again was actually pretty key. It's a it's got a beefy enough nerve and it's enough of a threat on its own that it can take out other chaff and still be a pain in the ass to deal with. So that was that was a nice unit to have. And then took two Mind Screeches, uh, then the aforementioned Archfiend, a Soulbane on a Dreadfiend, and then Mikhail. So that was the list in a nutshell. Scary. And it turns yeah, out I mean, it was pretty good. Yeah, basically, you can, you can imagine, I mean, not many people are 
playing games at 2600 but just take the archfiend out and that's a pretty uh not i wouldn't say it's the standard twilight kin build that's going around because you do have some unique choices in there and a little bit less shooting uh, than right. other folks but um you know it, it it's a very efficient list at 2300 points and then you add in a a, a nice flying threat for 2600 yeah which you typically don't see in a twilight kin list right and i said you know i'm gonna go with with no crone bound crones anyway no uh no sorceresses so to speak and then just have the mind screeches as the only casters in the list and then it took probably more chaff than i typically do with two units of gargoyles and then the regiment of fiends and the shadow hounds just to right. have a lot of stuff to get and a lot of fast stuff to get in the way so i played this list probably way more aggressively and typically for Twilight Kin, not sitting back and shooting and lightning bolting you off the table. I was I was pretty much up in people's face pretty early on. You know, it's it's funny. I one of these days what we need to do is talk to you about list construction. We should have a, a round table around that. Because the yes, you took some suboptimal um but I'm I'm using that in quotes, suboptimal options, right, in your list. <laughs> right. But they still fulfill a similar role to the stuff that you would have picked that is number one, right? And then the stuff that were like, I don't have three units of Glade Stalkers, I have two, I don't have a Chrome Bound, um, you know, uh, caster, but I have these other things. So I'll just play more aggressively. And then being able to switch, you take two units and turn them to something else and then be like, well, now I have to play this army very differently than the way I would with a, with a quote unquote standard list. That takes a lot of table time to understand, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I think that there are times when I'm using a list that let's say is sub substandard or something that's different. And I'm like, it takes me about two or three games to be like, how do I use this? You know? Yeah. And that was a deliberate choice. I definitely wanted to do something different. So I think you're right. Typically twilight can lists are defensive in, in nature. Me keep shooting you, keep hitting you with the magic. And then once we get stuck in, then I, I have enough punch to, to grind you out once you get there. Uh, that was not how I played this one. I was, pretty much pushing on the flanks or sometimes pushing right up the middle with all the fast stuff just to get in people's face early right. in most of the games. So yeah, it was definitely a different take and uh, something I deliberately decided, you know, I want to do it different. That's why I said no, no uh, crones in this list. No, no, no reason to have them in there because they're not going to play in this game or this tournament anyway. Cool. So do we want to talk games or do you guys want to talk about your lists too before we start talking games? Yeah, Mike, why don't you tell us your list? So my, uh, so I um, I took my 2,300-point dwarf list um, that I've been taking all year. It's, you know, five regiments of Iron Guard, all with dogs, three regiments of dogs with dogs, uh, four troops of sharpshooters, Gallic Fury. Um, I had uh, I had Faber Ironheart, who was the first time I've taken him, and I'm never not taking him now because uh, a standard steel juggernaut sucks. But Faber, for an extra 25 points, gets two extra attacks. He gets better nerve. He gets, uh, you know, you go through the list of stuff. He's just extra good. Attacks, he's, two, he's really two good. extra nerve and wild right. charge D3. And wild charge D3. So all of a sudden, yeah. he's projecting yeah. a little more threat. And yeah, he's 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 the price point that the, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, his, he's, his he's shooting, worth it. His shooting matters with those extra two attacks. It totally matters, right? For five attacks, it's like I put a wound on you and who cares? But with seven, with steady aim. Maybe I'll do two or three. I don't know. But uh, I had a um, a stone priest with um, 
Conjurer Staff, Fane Chant, and Scorched Earth, which I cast twice the entire tournament, which means either I'm doing it wrong or hiding him behind units so he can't be charged, and then having an 18-inch range wasn't enough. I was finding I was always just out of range every time. Um, and what else did I have? I think that was about the height of it. Oh, and it, like Galaxy Fury, right? Um, and what that does, it puts out that giant bubble, right, to control control the table. Oh, and I had a I had a troop of berserkers with the diadem of dragon kind because why not? Um, and uh, the answer for why not is that they suck. And what I should have done is <laughs> taken a king of wings, right? Like that's uh, that's the answer, right? Same points. Go out and do something important as opposed to whatever. Answered. There it is. I love the minis. I paint them. I think they look good, and I take them whatever. They're great. Else, right. I don't know but, why you. Uh, I mean, I don't know. We can talk about that unit. I know. Time. I know. But they're so pricey. Give them the so skirmisher boots, baby. You're going to give them anything. Yeah. Nimble, right? look out. <laughs> no, not, well, moving five. What? Um, Wild charge. But, right. But the other thing that I did was I I, um, I gave a, uh, I gave tribute to Skullface. Um, and in exchange, I was able to take 300 points of Orc allies. Uh, so instead of at Orc Town, the, the, you could take whatever allies you want as long as they were Orcs. No matter what your um, your al- <laughs> no matter what your alignment was, the only allies that are allowed at Orktown are orcs. And if you gave extra money to um, the charity that K two was raising money for, uh, you were able to take some of his some of his orcs for the event. So I uh, chipped in the extra you know extra twenty something bucks or you know twenty bucks, and and he took ten dollars off the top from everybody, uh, plus whatever he was able to get through his mercenaries. And he took that, added some extra money. He donated to um, refugee relief um, for people that are displaced due to war. And I was like, that is a legitimate cause, right? So, Absolutely. I mean, especially since, you know, the, the Yorktown shtick is all like this, this Russian propaganda. It was good for him to turn around and be like, yeah, just kidding. We're giving money right, away to right. help. Yeah, exactly. Right. To help Ukrainians. Um, but it was, it was definitely worthwhile. So I had a horde of great axe and a flag. Which I lost every single <laughs> game because I don't know like, how what, to use it. What do I do with something this big? Exactly. Apparently, I kill a th- I kill a piece of chaff and then lose them every single. Oh, no. <laughs> that's that's a good trade, right? That's a good it was one. not good. It was anti good, right? But right around game four, I was like, you know, I could put dogs in front of these. I'm such an idiot, right? <laughs> game four, Sunday morning. Oh, odd. Anyway, that was the army I took. It's very actually similar to the one I'm going to take for Masters. The core is the same, right? Five regiments of Iron Guard with dogs, three regiments of dogs with dogs. Um, it plays scenarios really well. The only ones that it really has a problem with are smoke and mirrors and loot, right? Because I don't have anything that they sure, can march up and get the token first turn. Yeah. But, right. but, you know, I also play the, I play the list hyper-aggressively, and I play for location on the table. You know, I... Every time I play now, I play to just control board space as opposed to kill your stuff, right? However, one of my games I want to talk about is all about killing your stuff, and that'll be later. <laughs> Excellent. So I took uh, what was basically my standard uh, ogre list with those added orcs, but there was one key crucial change, so I'll run through it real quick. Two hordes of Red Goblin Sharpsticks, three troops of Red Goblin Scouts, two regiments of Boomers. Two hordes of hunters, one with uh, Stangstone and Crocodog, the other with Helm of Confidence and Crocodog. Horde of Siegebreakers with Chalice of Wrath, a Crocodog Wrangler, 
two Red Goblin Blasters, an MVP. With me to Madness and Crocodile, Kuzlo and Madfall, and the Magarok, and then the Regiment of Morax and the Morax Man Splitter. So, uh, yeah, that big change was essentially just drop one of the Red Goblin Scout troops, because I usually have four, and uh, shift around some magic artifacts to make room for the Crocodile Wrangler, who is amazing. And I would never. I would never play without it after this weekend. It's so good. It taught me anything. It's just amazing. It's like, hey, you know those rules that exist in this game? Well, th- this guy gets to break all of those rules, and right. uh, it's going to be great. <laughs> because of that, he really is just a, a condition you have to live with when you're across the table from it, right? He's hiding behind. You can't actually touch it. You can't shoot it. You can't stop it. And it just goes out and does stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll run through real quick just uh, his deal if you're listening along and you haven't faced him yet or you don't have a book in front of you. Uh, so he's a monster, uh, but he's on a cavalry base and he's an individual. Speed 6, melee 3, defense 4, height 2, 7 attacks, 11, 13 nerve, 110 points. Crushing 1, duelist, individual, vicious melee, wild charge D3 plus 1, and then a special rule called through the legs. And that means friendly core units with the ogre keyword do not block line of sight and can be charged through by the crocodile wrangler as long as it ends its movement clear. Right. So he can hide behind ogres and charge out uh, from behind them. And his charge range is between 14, 15 and 16 inches, depending on what you roll on your D3. For your wild charge d3 plus one so it's a really long charge range and he can charge obviously 360 degrees and he's nimble so you can really get wherever you need him to so the one thing who could like snipe him out would maybe be a mind screech or a winged unicorn something that's that's tall enough and ha- cast lightning bolt but even with that it, it's easy enough to keep him out of range or to hide him and yeah, you basically just, like you said, Mike, you just, you see that guy and he's just going to do something to you and you have right. to accept it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't stop it. You just say, you know, I just have to pretend it's not there and just go about my business. At Unplugged GT, I got, I got to say the sentence, oh, it has duelist. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I lost my Brock Lord. <laughs> So, I mean, the things that make him great, obviously, it's the ability to deliver him wherever you need to, um, which is good. Duelist, so, you know, he's thrown out 14 attacks with melee 3, crush 1, vicious on an individual. So if someone's trying to be sneaky with their individual who maybe flies or they are careless with their individual who's supposed to be hiding, you can take them out. But then he just he can clear chaff out he can combo charge with one of your other ogre hordes and the thing about the ogre hordes with their 18 attacks is that they often 18 attacks and brutal they are so frequently in a combat where it's like well if i had done two more points of damage i would be really confident that yeah. I would uh-huh. now it's kind of a toss-up and uh, um i'm scared (laughs) so if you throw him in there he's he's good for more than that um 
with his profile. And as long as you're just not setting anything up where your opponents can charge him and kill him and overrun into your own unit, uh, then you're golden. As long as you avoid that, uh, he he's money. So that's my plug for the Crocodile Wrangler. No plug needed. All right, so let's talk about games. Corey, I want to hear about your game one. All right, game one. So I was playing Jason Murphy, who is a newer player in the Shambling Horde group in the Albany area. So he's he's kind of gotten all in. I think he's running the Escalation League out there. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, he's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, so he, he's super energized. He's definitely doing a lot of work. And so he was playing Ogres, and he was talking to me the night before. He's like, I'm really nervous about our matchup. And I, I didn't think it was that bad because he had an Ogre army, and he had the, the Lightning Council with the three Warlocks and Nom Nom with it and a Wrangler and all the good stuff. So his list was really good. So, But he was really worried about our matchup. Um, the scenario we were playing, I think that one was Salt the Earth. Was that right? Burning Tokens? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so I actually got the favorable table side. So I had more of the tokens easily within my control. And so he was going to have to work to get at them. Uh, early on, I think he made a deployment mistake. He tried to contest kind of the whole board and really should have focused on one side of the board, like from the center yeah. over to one side where more of the tokens yep. were. And he spread himself a little too thin. So that let me, on my right flank, I had the Glade Stalkers and an Archfiend and a uh, unit of Gargoyles over there. And he tried to contest that with a Sergeant on a Chariot and Kuzlo in Madfall, which is awesome. They're they're both great. Um, unfortunately, so he was trying to project threat into the woods over on my right flank, thinking I would scout up into those woods and then have free reign over the center of the board. I didn't scout where he thought I would. I kind of just moved over to the side so I could shoot at the sergeant. And because Kuzlo was nearby, wavered him on turn one. <laughs> so oh, it, it, it just be, it just because Kuzlo was there to hit hit that number. Uh, so that let me push up more aggressively. And I was able to actually get behind him with the Archfiend. The Glade Stalkers do what they do. They eventually cleared out the... Uh, the sergeant chased Kuzlo back towards the center of the table. He was running away, trying to, to get away from them. And that kind of gave me a solid contest on the right flank there with an Archfiend starting to make his way around the rear of his army. And then on the other flank, I pushed up a unit of gargoyles to burn the one token that he would have had a decent shot at getting and set up some See, nice that, counter charges that's not fair right i mean that yeah that's that's the I don't thing like i that, run into that, a lot that with you that can scenario. do it on turn the fact that you could do it on turn one kind of sucks right i don't think that's, i uh, i don't think that's yeah. a good call no so I, that's something i would change yep so but i did it um and set up some counter charges that if the he had the big deal in his army so he's, if the big deal comes out to take out the gargoyles the big deal goes away which he can't afford that trade. So that kind of let the gargoyles then get themselves to a safe position later on right. uh, over there. I had the shadow hounds and the regiment beans, as well as a, uh, the soul bane and the dread fiend. So I had some fast stuff over there too. There was a nice little hill over there that the shadow hounds were kind of parked on looking for a, 
a juicy 20 inch thunderous two charge to come down off the hill. And then he kind of put all his warlocks near the center, one off to the right flank. Uh, I was able to ping one of them down with the mind screeches on turn one and waver him. I was able to kill him on the second turn. And then the three remaining warlocks on turn two, I charged Mikhail right up the gut, right into Nom Nom. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't kill him. Didn't think I would kill him. Didn't kill him. But it was in front of all of his stuff. So it held him there for another turn and a half to deal with uh, oh, to deal with Mikhail. So the Wrangler yeah. and some some more warriors to come in and polish him off. So it really kind of pinned him in and gave me a lot of time to get around the flanks. I think by turn three, I had the dread or the uh, the soul bane on the dread fiend and the arch fiend coming from different angles in his backfield with gargoyles accompanying both of them. So I had plenty of chaff to get them into good combat. And then once that happened he made the mistake of starting to turn stuff around to face the oncoming threats. And then I just pushed up in the middle with the impalers and the, and the, uh, the neophytes and everything. And then it was, it was kind of a mess from that point on everything just started dying one unit at a time. And once the ogres start bleeding units, it's, it's hard to recover from that, especially if they're, they're facing in the wrong directions. Right. Absolutely. Right. So I, I, I had given up, I gave up pretty much all my characters like the arch fiend and the, and Mikhail and the Soulbane eventually all died. But at that point, I had all stuff uh, contesting five of the tokens that he just was never going to be able to recover and get to right. later on in the game. Just because he had to deal with all the stuff in his back, or he'd lose his whole army. So, But I think, Jason, we talked a lot through it after the game. I think he learned a lot and just how to uh, focus on what you can contest and always have to give something up in those scenarios. It's hard to spread out and cover the whole battlefield if you don't have the speed to uh, to actually do that. Agreed, right? So that was my game one. It was, I didn't, none of my games, I had a ton of attrition except for the one game that was kill. <laughs> so um, I got like a, a, a medium-sized win in game one there against Jason. Sure. So that, I mean, that I, I'd rather not talk about my game, but I want to, what I want to do is, well, what I want to do, well, I, I played Chris Pelletier and he's like the best gentleman in the universe. Right. Um, and I got a small win, but the, the question that I have is when you're playing scenarios like that and you're like, I'm not going to actually go for this token, but I'm going to contest the token. And I want you to commit more points on that side than I put down. What, what do you do? Do you just give up that side or do you put something down as Jason did to try to force you to like, listen, I'm going to make you earn this. You know what I mean? And then how much do you put down and where do you draw the line where it's like, I put down too much and now I guess I might as well go for it. Right. I think some token resistance is fine, but at some point you have to give up too and say, I'm going to just leave it and go back and focus on what I need to do. Right. I did the same thing actually funny it was i don't think it was the same scenario i don't think it was one where you could burn tokens but um i was playing chris murphy at unplugged and we had a similar thing where i had or no it was harvest of souls where i just put some token resistance over there but i had some good spots uh, on one flank where he had to commit way more than those units were worth to actually be able to control the token and it ended up holding him up for and like i never committed i never engaged with anything and he wasted three turns and he's like, 
you did it to me. <laughs> you made me spend all this time fighting <laughs> you with Elohi and Julius and all this stuff over right. here. And I'm, I'm screwing around wasting my time. And I need to say and leave it and go focus on something else. So I think there has to be a time where you say, you know, is it reasonable that I can contest this? Do I need to make him work or do I give it up for free? And at some point you have to just make the commitment, say, you know, I need to focus on getting the tokens that I can and, and let the one be. And I, I think, think that um, some armies lend themselves to that better than others. Like high mobility, sure. faster armies can certainly do that. If you're playing something slower or something that's not as redeployable like ogres, you kind of need to focus your force on, okay, here's the, here's the four tokens that I, I want to get. I know there's one or two that I'm not going to be able to get and just resign myself to that. Yeah. yeah. And I think when you, when you're setting that up, first of all, that has to be the decision that you're coming to when you've selected table sides, right? So you look at the layout of the board, whether it's three loot tokens or it's pillage tokens spread about, or it's um, control. And you're thinking about the table sections you, you want depending on your army, you can be flexible, but you want to have an idea like these are the ones that I'm going for. And then that decision of like, I don't ever just abandon. I think you can do a couple of things and it depends on what tools you have available in your army. So one thing that you can do, which if you have a flyer or something that's maybe like Lord on Frostfang, so it doesn't fly, but it's fast and nimble um, and benefits from flanks and rears, is you can put something out there on a flank and it's like, all right, so if you come this way and then you try and turn back in towards my battle line and you expose yourself to this threat, it's going to cause a problem for you. I'm going to come get you, yeah. Right, like straight up, it's not going to charge you in the front because it won't beat you. But if you just ignore me and you try and turn back towards my battle line, I will punish you for it. And what I'm putting over here doesn't cost as much as what you're putting over here. Another thing you could do, like I do this a lot with my ogres, is I have these hordes of red goblin sharpsticks, which have high nerve and they have phalanx and defense four combined with phalanx isn't terrible. And maybe I will just put them in a position where they're protecting my flank. So when whatever's on that side does what it needs to do and tries to come back, you've got to chew through these goblins. And if there's right. a good place to anchor them, where right. they can be behind a fence or in a woods or with a building that's you know holding them up, so you have to go through them, then it's like, oh, it's going to take that person this number of turns to complete their objective and then this number of turns to break through my goblins, exactly. usually I'm looking for two rounds of melee, sometimes three if I'm healing them. Right. You know, and all of a sudden it's like that's that's the trade I want. Maybe I didn't yeah, kill Yeah, and, and the sharp sticks are great for guarding a flank too because yes. typically it's cavalry or flyers out on that flank and they're like, oh, phalanx, cool. Good luck. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And if it's a horde, they take up a bunch of space too. Yep. Yeah, and I think cool. it, it, like for playing ogres, Jason had the tools to deal with those things on one flank if he just saved a couple of warlocks to fling some lightning bolts at them later on in the game that's as much of a threat as a dedicated unit going over there to punch them in the face right right 
It's also interesting. I mean, we'll we'll talk about this later in one of my games, but the idea of taking your giant flyer and getting in the backfield is so it's the thing to do, right? But if you rush forward and like I gotta get back there by turn two, do you? Do you really? Right? If you wait till turn three or four, then it's you're still back there and it's a giant problem when you're trying to get tokens and pull them back or trying to control board space. Really is a pain in the ass. Yeah, absolutely. So, Greg, how was your first game? My first game was amazing. It was a grudge match against Josh because we both painted Ogre Armies over the quarantine, and we had yet to face them off against each other. So this was a long time coming. And uh, it, it was the game did not disappoint. Uh, Josh's list was very different from mine. It was more akin to what you just described, Jason taking he had the three warlocks and namagarak he had a bunch of uh, siege breakers he had a big old horde or maybe legion of chariots i don't remember they're either size is obnoxiously large i think it was a legion it's a legion it's, it's <laughs> a, a legion giant of chariots. Right. he's got boomers you know it, so he had a giant which was awesome um so he had a bunch of he had a lot more ranged attacks than me um so it was i didn't think i was going to have a very good chance in the game just because i was running the numbers of all that lightning but perhaps because josh is a little rusty which he admitted, or perhaps because he had a master plan that I didn't see, he spread out his lightning, which made it a lot less scary. Um, and so that was good. And then he made a little mistake with Namagarok and exposed him to a flank charge from a troop of Red Goblin scouts, which obviously they took. <laughs> so then I yes. shot Namagarok down. Uh, and and who who else but the Crocodile Wrangler came in to finish the, the job and deliver the killing blow. Uh, things started to look a lot better, but I made I made a critical error. Remember how I was talking about, oh, at the start of the game, you've got to think about which tokens are you going to contest and this and that. Well, it was Salt the Earth, and I ended up burning a token on a flank that I won and I just denied Ooh. myself that point. Oh, man. And That's to awesome. be fair, I thought there was one that was towards the middle that I thought I was going to get. And then due to a poor roll on a nerve check, he was able to burn it uh, before he died. But even that would have the result was two tokens to one. So that would have made it a tie if uh, you know I had gotten that nerve check. Uh, but it still wouldn't have been a win because I... Right. Me, and and only me, uh, made that decision to burn a token that I, I shouldn't have. Like, I should have thought a couple turns ahead and realized, oh, I'm probably going to win this flank, so I should leave it. I just, I got the first turn, and I have scouts that go 20 inches, and I was like, haha, wouldn't it be cute if I ran up here and burned this token? Right? Yeah, yeah. It, it was cute. Because I can, because that's the scenario, <laughs> right? So... So it was an excellent game that it was very close right down to the wire and um, would have been closer if I had not made that poor decision. That's awesome. 
So, Corey, how is your? I want to. I want to. I'm going to skip the first game mostly because um, uh, I won the game. Chris is an awesome opponent, um, and I don't remember much of it. So that's, that's, we're just going to go right to right. Just being fair, right? He's so awesome. I ended up winning the game. It was a small win. Um, uh, I do remember because I was like, I don't know what to do with this horde of great axe. I'll put them over here, and that's what I put down to contest the token on the left while I tried to go for the <laughs> right for the tokens on the left. Well, I went for like the stuff in the middle and the right, and I was like, deal with this. And oddly enough, it really does make people nervous, right? As it should. As it should. So he had to, and he didn't have a lot of shooting, so he had to put a couple units over there to deal with it. And uh, and that was good stuff. Um, but okay, your game two, Corey. What was that like? All right, game two. I played Jonathan Neeson, and he was playing Night Stalkers. And Johnny sleeves. Johnny sleeves. Johnny sleeves versus Johnny no sleeves. Right. So he had like a hyper fast Night Stalker list. So if I remember right, he had three units of Phantoms and four units of Soul Flayers. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a lot of fast movers then and backed and, up and mul- multiple hordes of butchers. Yeah, right? with some fiends, uh, portal of despair, and a couple of mind screeches. So I mean, he could really get out there like in two waves, right? Hit you, hit you fast, and then follow up with butchers and fiends, and then still have the mind screeches. And I think he had one planner apparition. So yeah, it was a really, I mean, it definitely was faster than me by a long shot. And I was like, oh, this isn't a good matchup for me. And then we were playing push as the scenario, which I don't, I don't like push just because it turns into the same game. Everybody puts their tokens on one flank. Everybody else puts their other tokens on the other flank. It's a toilet bowl swirl around the token in the middle. middle. Yeah. So we both actually did something which hasn't happened in a push game that I've played yet where we both actually tried to stop the other person from getting their push tokens across the board and pretty much abandoned the middle till late in the game. Um, wow. So he put all his tokens on the portal of despair, which is a great token carrier because it's speed five already and it can do all its stuff that it needs to while marching along. And it's a dash 16 defense five Titan. So he put that out there. So I said, you know, I'm just going to stick my arch fiend and some shooting over there and kind of keep that at bay. But he backed it up with a bunch of fast stuff, like some phantoms and some soul flares. So it wasn't like I was easily going to get that. And I, I spread my tokens out between the two uh, mind screeches on my right flank and pushed up there again, kind of backing my stuff up with fast stuff like the dread fiend and the shadow hounds. And then we pretty much both just kind of split our forces and really right. didn't go for the center, the yeah. center token early on. Um, in all fairness, I probably should have lost this game, but Johnny didn't. He didn't come at me. He he waffled a lot and took a lot of time maneuvering and was worried about counter charges and getting things set up correctly. And he burned a lot of his time early he, on just I, waffling. I played him round four, and he did something similar with me. He was a fantastic opponent, and he thought everything through, but he thought everything through. Yes, yes. So I think, okay. I think the message here is, Johnny, it's time to take the sleeves off and make yes. a damn decision. <laughs> That's right. Because I, I felt so bad because by, like, turn three, he was down to ten minutes on his clock. I'm like, oh, he's not going to have time to finish this game. So – 
eventually I just said, you know, I'm going to charge in, take the, take the tokens off the portal. And then he brought all his stuff up to get him back. And on turn four, he ran out of clock. I mean, he had, he had all <laughs> the stuff he needed to, and on turn four, he was out of time. I'm like, oh, this sucks. So That's basically awful. I had three turns of unimpeded movement and fighting and shooting just to go ahead. And I was like, this sucks. I feel, I feel bad. So, but I mean, he, he had all the right decisions made. It just took him a long time to get there. So in all fairness, I probably should have lost that game or gotten to a tie. But that, that's how that game ended, unfortunately. I, I mean, I made right. him make those decisions, but it definitely took a long time for him to, uh, to make those choices. Sure. I, it, it's, it's funny because he's got a bunch of moving parts in that army, and that army is good, and he is, he's a good player and a good dude, right? And so, like, you watch him, like, check, double-check. What if I go here? What if I go there? What if I, I just want to make sure of this? He's, he's, he's awesome. If he tightens that up a little bit where he doesn't check the third option, he'll be – he's going to smash all our faces. Yeah, right? I mean, he, to gave be honest, me not, he gave me right? nothing. Let me be clear. He gave me no, no, no good choices. No, there no opportunities at all. Exactly, right? But in fairness, he could have just said, I'm going to brute force just bum rush you, and he would have taken me off the table probably. <laughs> and just yeah, said, I'm we, sending all my fast stuff in, and I'm going to follow right. it up with all the butchers. And that's what's going to happen. And there's not a damn thing I could have done about it. Yeah, with the speed and the punch, if he gets into your nougaty center, I mean, it's gone, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I want I want some time to soften up his stuff, and it didn't, and because my speed didn't match his. Right, legit. Yeah. So unfortunately, the game was a non-game in the end, and it's just me taking stuff off after turn four. Right. So. I'll go because I haven't described a game yet. My second game was against uh, was against Josh, and uh, you know we're playing push, so I put all three of my tokens on Gallic, and I'm like I'm gonna walk up the middle, and um, I have my standard my standard setup of four regiments of um, the Iron Guard across the center. Um, Gallic's kind of in the middle, so he puts his nine inch in, uh, inspiring all around, um, and kind of off center, so three of the units will get the Iron Resolve. I have the, um, you know, the, the Stone Priest with Radiance of Life over on the other side to, like, bulk up what's going on over there for the other two dwarf units. And then on the flanks, I had, I made a mistake. And the mistake that I did was right and set up. So on the left-hand side, he's got, um, he had a, his, his horde of chariots, um, a thing of the Red Goblin Scouts, and a chariot on a, or a, a sergeant on a chariot. And I out-deployed him. And I had the option of being like, I'm just, I should have just ignored that side. But I had already put down like a, uh, a regiment of, you know, I, what I do normally to deny a flank is I put a regiment of the Iron Guard down. I put a unit of dogs in front of them. And I say, that's four, you know, that's 300 points of stuff, but it's also defense six, 15, 17, a chaff unit. If you want to get through it, it's going to take you two or three turns to do it. Good luck. Right. And when I, my last, my last, my last deployment was a regiment of sharpshooters, which doesn't sound like much or a trooper sharp, you know, five shots hitting on fours, piercing two. I had three of them off to the right and in the middle. And I put this one off to the left and I should have put it off. to. I was like, do I put it in the middle and just add another five shots or put it to the left and try to help? I put it to the left and I should have done it because it was a lost cause. Turns out he takes two of the push tokens and puts them on a unit of, or a horde of the um, shield breakers in the middle. 
or siege breakers in the middle. And then he takes one of them, puts them on a, on a regiment of, of, of goblin rabble off on the right hand side. And I'm like, son of a because all I have is a tr- like some dogs to run over there and bark at them. And maybe a reg- I had a regiment of Iron Guard that I could walk over there to fight him. You know what they do? They move four. So I had no way to reach out and touch that regiment. So I had to pull units off the center to go fight that instead of just shooting it. So because my shooting was ineffective and it wasn't set up correctly, um, at the end of the game, he had multiple hordes with nine, nine or ten wounds on them, and I hadn't broken them, right? And so just another five shots in the middle puts enough pressure on where I make him do something stupid because the left didn't slow him down. It didn't do anything. It was, it was, it was not the smartest thing in the world. Um, the other thing that happened, there was a, there was a woods in, the, in uh, separating the, the left third of the table from the rest of the table, and I had moved up. Um, my horde of um, uh, great axe, because once again, I don't know how to use them. And I was like, well, I'll move them up and you can deal with this. And when you're done dealing with them, the regiments will come in and throw dogs at you and kill you. Well, that was the plan. Um, so I got in, I killed a unit, I moved forward. And I was like, my left hand, the left hand side of that horde is anchored against the woods. I'm good. And it turns out that uh, his horde of chariots were in such a position where he could just make a 15.9 inch charge into the very corner of the horde in the middle. Well, that sucked. Um, so he, he gets the charge, he removes the unit, he turns to, you know, and, but I had moved another unit up uh, to the side of the horde. So he couldn't actually, because the horde of chariots is so big, he, or the legion of chariots is so big, he couldn't, reform so he gave me a flank the next turn mm-hmm. but it wasn't enough so at the end of the at the end of the game that unit had 17 wounds on it and it was still alive so like we looked down at the table and i was just a a, a, a little red dice midway through the game because can i borrow that red dice i need i need to borrow your red dice for wounds can i borrow that red I need, dice? I need more i'm like markers. son of a gun right like every unit had had a bunch of wounds on it and i'm looking down at my stuff's off the you know it's, it's reported to the rail so I ended up losing the game because um, I couldn't get Golic across the middle and I couldn't kill that stupid regiment off to the right. It was very, very distressing. Very, It was very frustrating. I was like, oh, come on. I need fives twice and I couldn't get it like multiple times, you know. Ugh, that's, but, that one's tough. It was, it was tough. Uh, but well-deserved win on his part. Like, I, I you know, I kind of played sloppy and I didn't deploy right. So, you know, it, it was what it was. But it, 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 that being said, him and I, the banter between Josh and I was pretty good, you know? So even though I'm taking a loss and I'm losing my mind, like he's laughing with me and I'm laughing with him and it, <laughs> it, it, it was pretty good. It was pretty good all around. But that was, that was the second game for me. Greg, how about you? I played Bill and this has been, uh, apparently this is our new tradition. Uh, so the past three GTs, Bill and I played first round at Dead of nice. Winter and Unplugged. And then we played third round or second round at uh, Orktown. So it just, it just happens. Uh, and he had Forces of the Abyss. He had a different list this time to what he ran before. And I really liked it. It was, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it was centered around a couple of hordes of Molochs. He had some Abyssal Ghoul regiments in there for unlocks. He had four uh, regiments of Tortured Souls. He had yeah. Two troops of gargoyles. 
he had a legion of succubi larva, uh, two croniuses, and two um, abyssal warlocks. I might be missing something in there, but the that's sure. what is standing out to my memory. And what's cool about it, right, is that the I haven't seen the Cronius since it, the rules got updated, and I I quite like it. It hits hard. It, it does can heal three points of damage on a friendly unit within six inches. Uh, you know, he's got drain life on the um the warlocks. One of them actually had celestial restoration, so he's got right. like, the long range heal. So it's it's surprisingly resilient. Um. And the succubi larvae are are great for carrying your push tokens because this unit you might be like, what is that? Because you don't see it often. But a legion of succubi larvae, speed five, melee six, defense four, uh, thirty attacks, dash twenty seven, nerve, and ensnare. So yeah, <laughs> and, and and then all that healing around it with the and all that healing right? around it exactly. It's so, so good, right? Basically, like you described, Corey. Um, you know, I, I threw all my push tokens on a horde of red goblin sharpsticks that ran up one flank, and they were pretty much unmolested for the majority of the game. And then by the time he tried to bring something over there to fight them, all of that stuff has fly. And I have phalanx, and so it didn't. It was too little, too late, and they uh, bounced uselessly off of my spears. You know, goblins are great at holding a good formation. Um, <laughs> so that was good. Uh, and he threw his his tokens on the succubi larva, and they were a little bit like center, my center left, his center right. But they they were there because there was a big woods that that was a little on his side and then crossed onto my side and so right it ensnare and uh, being in the woods so if you're not pathfinder minus two to hit right like good luck and just pulling them off and really um, the game was lost by Bill when he 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 got the bloodlust he saw red and there was an opportunity for those succubi larvae to flank charge one of my units and you know in combination uh -oh. with something coming in the front and he's like oh 60 attacks charge uh but you know they hit on sixes and and it wasn't uh that uh. impressive and now he was out in the open <laughs> instead of uh being protected in the line right. and so it we took several turns it took several turns but i did eventually take them down and, and steal those tokens from him which was Ugh. the deciding factor. The other, um, the other notable development in that game, one of the Cronius's, I think it was the Cronius that punked Kuzlo like right away. I was like, oh, Kuzlo, go over here and be sneaky. And the Cronius charged him and just took him out in one go. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, oh no. Um, and where he overran to, the only thing I could do to this Cronius, and they have Cloak of Death, so that's a problem, because now he's like, just in the middle of me. Uh, the only thing I could do, because the Crocodile Wrangler was off on the other side, causing trouble, was just charge it in the front with one Red Goblin Blaster. And I was like, well, this is all I could do, so here I go. And yeah, yeah, I rolled like an idiot. Uh, I got, I think, 14 hits and did 13 damage. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> it's awful. No. Yeah, man. I'm like, yeah, I'm brutal. He's dash 18. Need a four twice. Got a four twice. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how that went. Um, in the previous game against Josh, I did one damage when I charged with my Red Goblin Blaster. So sure, sure. It, it just, you know, <laughs> that is the nature off. of them. But, but when they work like that, uh, it's hard to argue. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Because that's the so threat that's always out there, right? It is. You have the, the opponent has to just always like when I see them, I just always expect them to do fifteen damage to me. I'm like, well, that if if I let that charge me, I will take fifteen damage. So I have to avoid that at all costs, and that right then a, a benefit to the controlling player. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's what you have to plan for. Exactly. Agreed. So it was a great game. Bill is an excellent opponent, and. Um, yeah, it was just that uh, it would have been a much closer game if he hadn't uh, taken that charge. So next time he'll know what to do. But that's, right. that's like a tactical lesson, right? Because those crappy troops, it's so much better to just get charged on your own terms and yes, let them take exactly. it and fight where, this, fight where you want them to. Even fight where you want them to. Advantageous charge. Exactly. They're so underwhelming. Yeah. Right. And hey, hitting on sixes, I'll attack you. I'll attack you sixty times. I will hit you ten times. Ten on times, average. I will yeah. wound you. I have no crushing. <laughs> I, will, I so I did four wounds. Awesome. And now you get to pick me up. It's it. It's funny because that list is legit. Like we were talking back and forth the week before, and he was, I want to take Twilight Can, and then like midway through our practice day, he goes, I can't take this. I don't know what I'm doing. I said, just make it a best list and go bring it. Right. So he put together his abyss list, and it's a good list. And I actually think that Bill is really is really smart. And if he played that list for a year, if he had the discipline to play it for like fifty games, he'd kill bros with it, right? Yeah, as opposed it's, to it's, tweaking a, every it's time, an absolute you know? it's an absolute bruiser of the list. It and, is uh, if right? you use those, you know, the two gargoyles, the four troops of tortured souls, you. Those are great for a lot of things, but one thing they can do is, which is what would have been the best against my army, is just make sure that you deliver the Molochs because the Molochs will just right. melt anything they right. touch. Right, and they're they're the perfect delivery system for the exactly. Molochs. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. All right, so we're near the end. Game three. Here we go. <laughs> near the end of day one. Yes. Of day so, one. Game three. So I get paired against Kevin Spear. I was so excited. I don't I haven't played Kevin in Kings of War. Just always circling around really? each other. So was, yes, yes. All these years have not played him in Kings. So this was this was a treat. So uh I forget what the scenario was for round three. Do you guys remember? Dominate. 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 That's right. Jam, That's right. Yes. Dominate. Yeah. That's right. And so Kevin had, he had the big horde of knights. I think they had the J-boots on him. Uh, he had another horde of, um, oh, he was playing, that lady bros, uh, Brotherhood. And so he was playing, he had the big horde, the paladin horde as well, the foot horde. And he just stuck them right in the middle, <laughs> said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to fight this in the middle. We're going to see what's up. Uh, he also had, or no, he wasn't playing brother he was playing league of Rordia. that's right yeah and so Rordia. he had yep. the paladin paladin knights with the j boots and then it wasn't uh the master slayer or it was 
one of the dogs of war units yep. oh it's the one that has 30 attacks pathfinder crushing yes. one it's really good it's really Found. scary it's brutal yeah it's yeah. awful i say brutal i yeah. shouldn't say that because that's a rule but it's really hard to deal with it is i was like oof pathfinder and all those attacks and crush one it's like ooh, that's gonna be good so those were his center line he had a bunch of mages backing them up with some heal and some cheap lightning bolt uh, he had another unit of knights that had the brewer strength just a regular regiment of knights with the brewer strength which i thought was an interesting choice he didn't have the the brewer strength on the horde um, yeah he also had an honor guard horde with uh caterpillar and then he had some chaff pieces of mounted scouts which are also really good and then he had two I think he had one unit of Dogs of War pikemen, just a regiment, not a horde. And then he had another unit of just the, the regular men-at-arms spearmen. And he used those kind of to guard his flanks. And then he had two of the, one of the dukes on the winged arrelezes. So he had one on each of his flanks kind of swooping around, inspiring things and being a, a general nuisance. That's what so happens that when was, you have an extra 300 points to play with. Right. Extra monsters. So uh, I took the center and just said, all right, so this is where we're going to fight, obviously. But I tried to load up on the two flanks and see what I could do. And then if I could push back towards the center later. Uh, early on, I was able to shoot off one of the Spearman regiments with Glade Stalkers and the Mind Screeches. I kind of loaded wow. them all up on my left flank, put everything into that unit on turn one, and took them off on turn one. Had needed like a, a six twice and got it. So Ooh, that, that was actually a big deal because it kind of cleared off that flank for me and left the Duke and one of the troops of Mounted Scouts just staring at all that shooting like, this ain't great. So the scouts hightailed it out of there and there was a big piece of impassable terrain in Kevin's deployment zone. So they just kind of bolted behind that. And then the Duke actually took a decent amount of shooting that next turn on turn two. And he decided he's also going to get out of here. And so basically they abandoned that whole left flank, which then kind of let me push right in towards the middle. And I had Mikhail over there as well. I had ran him up kind of behind that impassable piece where nobody could see me. But if he kind of came out from behind it with anybody, Mikhail's waiting. So I kept that nice. Uh, nice place. Duke on winged Arales just kind of sitting back there like, shit, I can't go out. I'll get charged by Mikhail and die. I can't sit here. I'll just keep getting shot to death. So I got to get out of here. So that worked out. On the right flank, he had the Honor Guard Horde, the Dog of War Spearmen. And oh, he had a battle shrine over there. And so he started peppering me with lightning bolts and another winged Arales. I had the Archfiend over there as well. I made a mistake. I pushed up a little too far, and he was able to get the uh, Duke on a winged Arales behind me, tucked in behind an impassable piece right by right by the um, the table edge. I was like, okay. oh, shit. I can't do anything about that. So I said... I got to go in and start <laughs> fighting stuff and I'll start taking stuff off over there. And um, it took me a couple turns, but I did get through the honor guard horde, but I lost stuff in return. Like I, it took him a few turns to kill everything in return. So I had like the, uh, an impaler regiment. I had a unit of 
the arch being they had something else over there. I want to say, oh, the shadow hounds. And he was the shadow hounds were trying to get into position where they could countercharge something, and he kept chasing them around with the duke. And eventually he got them. But that took a lot of time of us kind of moving in and back and forth on each other. And I was able to get a good combo charge into the honor guard and take them out over a couple turns. So that worked out well. But in the center is where it all happened. So Kevin kind of moved the knights up. He moved the uh, the horde of the dogs of war up in the middle. Not too far, not too aggressive, but he, I had uh, I had a regiment, the regiment of fiends sitting on a hill, staring at the knights. He's like, yeah, I'm not scared of them. You go ahead and charge me with them if you want. I was like, okay. And then the other next to them, he gave me a single charge with the horde of fiends with the brewer sharpness into okay. the dogs of war. I was like, well, and I knew I was losing my right flank fast. So I was like, well, I got to go. So yeah. I charged the, the regiment of fiends into the night off the hill and crush one thunder one with some vicious, like I'm going to put some wounds on them. And then he's got to fight through them and I could bring the rest of my army up behind them. And then I should be able to throw enough stuff into those knights to take them off over which, a few turns. Which turn was this? Was this turn three? This was turn three. Yep. Okay. So you got you, you legitimately have three or three or four more turns to do it. All right. Cool. Right. Yep. So I do that. I charge them into the knights, block them up, do do a decent number of wounds. I charge the the fiends, the horde of fiends with the brew of sharpness into the the dogs of war. And I do a shit ton of damage on them. Yeah, um, they make messes. Oh, my God. They made a mess of them. And I had charged Mikhail over in that direction to provide the dread. Just enough to pop that unit. <laughs> Dead man. Corey, we lost you. Corey, we lost oh. you. Sorry, I, I missed the button. <laughs> ah, <yeah. laughs> Keep forgetting, hit the button, hit the button. It's amazing. So he, uh, Kevin also had Duke Hetridberg in his army, uh, which is the large cab character that provides rallying two for knights. Ooh. So he kind of brought him up in the middle to kind of help out. I charged Mikhail over at him. So that got me within dread range uh, of the, uh, the dogs of war. So I was able to pop the dogs of war, and then over the next turn, I was also able to kill the Duke of Hetrenburg with Mikhail. Oh my god! To combat, right? Why well, he's yeah. he's a Mikhail's a beast. Yeah, he's when you're fighting characters. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. He's going to take him down, if not first turn, second turn, and then he obviously Kevin had to fight the uh, the the regiment of fiends with the night horde. I had the daughters moved up next to him. I had another regiment of impalers ready to follow up. So, and then once I'd killed the Duke, they didn't have that rally too. Then it was doable. I was able to send in the impalers and I sent in the daughters and over the next two turns, cleaned off the knights and I had the entire center to myself, just looking yeah. at Mikhail running around, chasing after wizards, punking wizards out left and right. Um, that Duke on Aerolez wow. had to come out and fight, and I got him eventually too. So even though Kevin did eventually kind of clean up the right flank, by the time he did that, I had cleaned up the center and had everything in a position where I was like, if he tries to even come back to the middle, he's got too much stuff looking at him. I still had both the Gladestalker units. I had the Mind Screeches there. 
wind blasting stuff out of the way, doing what they needed to do, lightning bolting wizards. So I had a good setup kind of coming into the, the dominate circle where Kevin couldn't bring that right flank back to bear on because he just didn't have enough stuff left to do that. Sure. Wow. So I, I was very aggressive in the center of the table, which really I don't think I don't think Kevin was expecting me to take those charges early on. And I mean, I did get a little lucky going into the Dogs of Warhorde. I wasn't expecting to pop them in one turn. I was expecting to do oh, enough God, damage, no. lose yeah. the fiends, but then I would shoot them off the board next turn with the Glade Stalkers. So yeah, I, I right. did I did get somewhat lucky with the with the amount of wounds they did on that Dogs of Warhorde. There's certain amount, but he also like... he also had to move the shrine away from them so he couldn't rally them because the shrine was over on the right flank helping out over there That's so it certainly made them a little more breakable on the charge see it's it's funny i think that there's something to be said for you know the glade stalkers are going to be able to do five wounds six wounds combined right you take both of them yep, shoot at yep. something with defense five you'll do about six seven wounds you know that's going to happen every time so you can put a, a, a troop of fiends in, you put a regiment of fiends in, you can do a bunch of wounds and you're like, all right, I'm going to add six to that next turn. You're gone. Like that, that, that reliability and being able to play a turn ahead, that that's important, right? Yeah. It lets you be aggressive when you're like, uh, maybe I, I wouldn't do that if I didn't have something that I, I know I'm going to lose the fiends. Or at least I think I'm going to lose the fiends next turn and then I can do something about it. Sure. It's funny because I think a lot of people, they'll, they'll take their shooting and they'll go, okay, I'm going to shoot, shoot, shoot. And then when you get close, I have this thing that's kind of relatively fast next to me that'll pin you in place and then I'll shoot you some more. But they don't move the thing forward, right? They don't move the countercharging thing forward. They just leave it there, right? right? They play that mega defensive as opposed to, I'm going to control board space and then I'm going to buy myself an extra round of shooting because you're going to kill my guys over there, Right. Yep, and that's really what it was about. You know, it's just I know what's going to happen, but I need to buy myself that extra turn. Right. Greg, how was your how was your end of day game three? It was amazing. I played the <laughs> great con. And the most I would say every goblin list he plays is insane. This one might be the most insane. <laughs> it was something. It was something. So uh, here we go. Buckle up. 12 regiments of rabble. Two troops of luggets. Two regiments of mincer mobs. Two wingets. A giant. Two red goblin blasters. Three mop up launchers. Three bangets. And a bigot on a flea bag. <laughs> and those were the wingets of the I, the shooting variety. The shooting I think. variety, yeah. Just so much stuff. <laughs> Yeah. So, so during this game, I pointed out to him, which he found very amusing, that he had more units in his army than the two people playing on the table next to us had in their armies combined. He had 27 <laughs> units. Wow. And next to us, it was uh, John, Johnny No Sleeves uh, against young Greg. And that that was a very elite Northern Alliance against a very elite forces right. of the abyss, and they only had twenty five units combined. So he had more. <laughs> so we were playing dominate, and he's got also you know to go along with that uh, a massive advantage uh, in terms of unit strength. But this table, 
I will tell you, was for this scenario just unbalanced. And I won the roll off for side. And so he had a piece of impassable that was blocking him from getting as much uh, real estate in the dominate circle as I had. So that was a pretty big advantage for me. Totally. And at that point, it meant he had to kind of send those rabble regiments through in waves. And if there's one thing that ogres can clear off like bowling pins, it's regiments of rabble. <laughs> you could take rabble. Oh, my God. So, so they were flying left and right. And really, the, the scary part is the shooting because I've got a lot of defense for. Um, but uh, everyone's favorite, the Crocodog Wrangler, was able to get in there and start munching on bangets. And, you know, as those are going down, uh, he's starting to lose mop-up launchers to Red Goblin scout troops who are real fast and nimble getting into the back line. Take those out. Um, But don't scout, oddly enough. No, even though it's in the name, um, unfortunately. But although that would be, you know, a Speed 10 scouting unit. That would be something. Um so once I, I kind of had that shooting threat locked, it's like, you know, each turn, once you start taking one or two of those pieces off, it gets less and less devastating. Um, but once it was completely gone, it was at that point just up to combat. And uh, on a pure, like, melee, uh, straight-up fight, I'm going to take what's left in his goblin army. So I was able uh, to pull out the win there. Um Sure. But it was the great con, so it was, of course, an amazing game filled with lots of laughs and uh, lots of madness. There was a moment, and this has nothing to do with the tactics of the game, but there was a moment where he had uh, rolled real nice and made a mess with his giant, and then I took it off in return. And he's got the, the Mantic giant, and he's customized it to look like a massive goblin uh, and it's just an awesome centerpiece model for his awesome army. And he went to remove the model from the table, and it was like the rule back in Warhammer uh, when the giant uh, is killed and it falls oh, down. No. Oh, <laughs> and it, no. it kind of like he grazed it with his finger, and so it like started spinning, and it was like in the middle of all, both of our armies, and time slowed down. It was like someone had rolled the scatter die. Which direction is it going to fall? <laughs> and it it hit both of our it hit my units and his units, and kind of barrel rolled over them before settling on an oh open <laughs> patch of grass. Ooh. And there was no damage to anything. That's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I, we Beautiful. both kind of had our breath held, and then there was a sigh of relief and a laugh and. Uh, we we carried on, but that was that was amazing. <laughs> wow. I uh, I ended up playing my third game uh, against Young Greg, who won the I forget what the what the actual award was, but he got the it's highest. It's called attrition. the Nuke Award. Yeah, and it New was a, it was a it was a small statue of a goblin riding a rocket that said Nuke with a giant banner behind it. It was gorgeous, right? Um, and I'm happy to say he did not get a ton of attrition off of me. Yeah, buddy. Um, <laughs> you were the right? sole holdout. I, I I was helping, I guess. But so, you know, it he. this was actually a pretty easy game for me. It's Dominate. I've got 
17 unit strength to put in the middle of the table with defense six. Uh, good luck. And then, you know, I, I did the thing that I do against Northern Alliance. He sets up his units. He has a mana core on the left and he has a, uh, a, uh, a horde of frosting on the right. And he's got a total of like 21 unit strength. And so I put all the sharpshooters on the right and I just shoot the frost fang and I put eight wounds on him first turn. He's like, well, now I got to go in. He charges into some dogs. I kill him next turn. I remove three unit strength off the table. And now he's pushing everything up. From a scenario perspective, he's in trouble. Uh, on the left, he moves the Kimmer up. He tries to do the move up 20 and turn and, you know, make me turn. But I had, you know, I, he, he kicked the crap out of me last time we played with that. And so this time I was like, oh, your Kimmer is over there. I put sharpshooters in the middle and I turn them to the left just so that they can see through the middle of the table and to the left, right where you're going to be if you move up 20 inches. So he moves up. I take two of the sharpshooters. Second turn, I just start shooting them, shooting them, shooting them. By the time he comes, there's a little bit of woods there. He has to go into the woods to see me. I shoot him some more. By the time he comes out of the woods, he's dead. Right. So that, <laughs> I mean, at that stage of the game, it was, and he looked at me and goes, yeah, it's pretty much over. I go, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't want to tell you. And then we just kind of played the rest of the game out. Um, but if it wasn't dominate, it would have been a much tougher time for me. Right. Because at that point he's in the middle and he's, you know, he's got the scrum going and I'm removing everything that has like one or two unit strength and he's picking units up. So, you know, he, the only thing that saved me was the fact he couldn't kill my crap fast enough. Right. But that was, that was about the height of the game. You know, it was a nice way to end, you know, the, the day I was, you know, two and one, things are good, feeling strong. Army's doing what it's supposed to do. But, and then it was cocktail hour. Delicious. Which was great. And dinner at Seafood Sammy's, right? So good. Hold on. I'm getting pulled away for a minute. You guys want to take a quick break and then we'll come back and wrap things up with day two? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. GT. Corey, who'd you face round four? All right. Round four, I got even more excited because I got to play Harry Garrett, who I, again, haven't played yeah. probably since Warhammer Fantasy. I think we talked about it. I mean, we've played Kings like up at Mike's house and practice days and stuff like that, but we haven't played Kings in a tournament since we've been playing Kings of War. So that, that was awesome. And, and for what it's worth, Harry got the best sportsman for the entire event and it's yeah, so buddy. deserved. I mean, I played like I said, I played Harry at Mike's out. It's always a blast. And again, this game was no different. I was he got my best sports vote. It was definitely a great game. So I got to play Harry Garrett and Kevin Spear in the same tournament. So suck at everybody else. I win. <laughs> and, and it was. I was like they were both great games. I love playing both those guys. So that was awesome. So the scenario for this one was kill, which I was like, what? How do you play 
kill. I don't even know what to do in a kill scenario. Did you guys have the same reaction? My my whole list is designed around playing scenarios except for kill. And I'm like, I have to kill things? I don't kill things. This is awful. I stand in place and die slowly. I'm so screwed. <laughs> yep. And, I, and I'm looking at, and I looked at like, so K2 had a leaderboard posted on a TV at the, at the TO station, which was pretty cool. And it showed like your battle points and your attrition points that you've scored throughout the game or throughout the whole event. And I was like, I'm like definitely middle of the road on the attrition points. I'm not killing a lot of stuff. And then I'm playing Harry, who's got tried realms with a ton of ensnare and regen or defense six and shooting. I was like, oh, fuck, this actually is not going to go well <laughs> for me. I was like, no, this is not going to go well at all. So we lined them up. Uh, Harry had his Trident Realms. It was four regiments of Heart Piercers. He had two regiments of Placoderms, three Krakens, a Coral Giant, and a horde of Water Elementals. So tons of stuff that I can't kill easily. Right. And then he had two characters. Uh, he had, I think the... I forget what they're called. They're like the little banner bearer guys. One had Bastion and the other one had the, the unique upgrade that gives um, large infantry and regular infantry units or heavy infantry and regular infantry units fury. So he had that out yeah. there and he had two centurions um, running around just being a pain in the ass with their defense five and ensnare and regen four all for the inspiring goodness and backfield protection so I couldn't get the Archfiend around and all that good stuff. So I was like, I, this doesn't look good. <laughs> and and the table we were on, from my side of the table, the entire right flank was a ton of little pockets of difficult terrain and a forest. Like the entire right side of the table. There was nowhere I was going to go that I wasn't going to be hindered on a fence or in a forest yeah. or in a difficult train fighting a 40K table on that side. Yes. Right? I was like, yeah. Oh my God, Harry. I was like, I'm not going over there, dude. <laughs> He's like, I'm definitely going over here. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I'm like playing center to right or center to my left. And then he's loading up on his right. And I'm like, fine, I guess I got to put something over there. He's just going to rush on me. So I put some token resistance with like a fiend regiment. Um, the soul bane on a dread fiend and the daughter's kind of over there and i was like well, i'm never going to charge you so you're just gonna have to charge me through stuff and see what happens so that side actually turned out to be the swing point because we kind of danced around this forest it was closer to my side so i was going to make him go into it before he could see me and charge me and so i used the kind of soul bane on a dread to work some flanks and kind of threaten the flank of the Kraken if he gets up too far. Sure. And so we kind of danced around that forest for three, four turns before committing or engaging. And that actually worked out because it allowed me to, to do a lot of stuff in the middle and on my left flank. Um, in the middle, there was a big hill. So I just marched up onto the hill and stared at him with some fiends, the horde of fiends with sharpness, the arch fiend, and then I had the shadow hounds behind them. And then everything else, like impalers and stuff, ready to kind of come as a second wave. And Harry suckered me in. I He had the, the placoderms out there just kind of staring at me by themselves. 
I was like, yep, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take them out, forgetting that, I ha- that they have phalanx. So all that sweet thunderous charge coming down off the hill, plus a minus one to hit, plus the arch speed was minus one to hit because he's a flyer. I charged it. I was like, oh, that's fucking right. <laughs> so I didn't kill the them. Yep. Yeah, I didn't kill them. Um, I did waver them, but he had the guy with Fury nearby. Uh, gratefully, Placoderms can't fight for shit. So they didn't kill anything. <laughs> so I was I was able to kill them next turn, but it kind of put the uh, the fiends in a bad spot, and I did end up losing them pretty early on. But then then he had to deal with the archfiend; he couldn't just ignore it. So he spent the turn, the next few turns, charging it with uh, the two units of heart piercers over there, trying to ground me because he obviously didn't want me flying behind him and causing a mess. Right. So that kept them from shooting, which was good. That's what I needed. And then I could kind of bring the uh, the neophytes out uh, from behind stuff so they wouldn't get shot to death. And then on my left flank, things went pretty well. I was able to wipe a unit of heart piercers in one turn with um, shooting from two glade stalker units and lightning from two of the, uh, the mind screeches. So... That was good. I mean, defense three helps a lot there. So I was able to pump a bunch of wounds into them and not need not need an obscene roll. I think I needed a six or five or six twice to break them and pop them on turn one, which gave me a big leg up because then he didn't have enough shooting to threaten me. I wasn't in range of anything because the nice thing about when you're fighting heart pierces is that their threat range isn't 24, it's 23. So I could sit at 24 right. and pepper him with shots. And he's got to walk in and take it again. So I took one unit off turn one. I had moved Mikhail up to be a threat kind of in the middle, and he charged into the second unit of heart piercers and just kind of disordered them for a turn or two so they couldn't shoot back. And Harry pushed hard on that my left flank with two Krakens and a Placoderm unit over there. So he pushed hard on me um, to try and bring them up on the Glade Stalkers and the Impalers over there. I shot put a bunch of wounds on the Kraken on turn two. Didn't waver him, didn't kill him. Um, he healed half of them back, but he was still sitting on like nine wounds, something like that. So wow. it was definitely in danger zone. Um, so he, he said, I just got to push up on you. So this is where I think I got really lucky. Mikhail, I said, I'm going to go all in. I charged the one Kraken in the flank with Glade Stalkers, the wounded Kraken. I kill that because it's Glade Stalkers in the flank, so they did enough damage. They killed that. Mikhail in the rear of the other Kraken, because he was fighting the Heart Piercers in, that was back near Harry's deployment zone. So I'm fighting them. I say, I'm going to abandon them and rear charge the, the other Kraken. They do nine wounds. I need... Whoa! Yeah, nine wounds out of 12 hits, so that was pretty good. <laughs> but then I, I roll an 11 twice on the break check to break it. Ah, I was like, ah, oh, that, that's, that's not simple yep. at all. That, oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> so that happened, and then I had double-charged the Placoderms in the front with the Impalers with the Brewer Strength, and then in the flank with the Glade Stalkers. Yeah, that'll and end them. Everybody's Absolutely. wounded on four, so that took them off. So all of a sudden, everything that was on Harry's left flank is dead, and it's facing, I got one unit of Heart Piercers that's got some damage on it and a centurion over there so um over the next turn i was able to kill both of those off because mikhail 
is hunting characters now, so he's chasing down the Centurion, and then I'm able to it's shoot down the other characters. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that, that racked down feels pretty yeah. quick. It was like that was unexpected. I mean, Mikhail one shotting that Kraken was was a big ass deal because it just meant that okay, I have no reprisal here. Right? There's, I'm right. not going to lose anything over yeah, here. You, I would have got it a couple eventually. units, and that's it. Yeah, right. I would have got it eventually, but he'll take something out with him. So now I didn't have to worry about that. The Glade Stalkers can turn and start making their way back towards the right and start shooting stuff, um, which they do. The, the Archfiend over there eventually takes out a, a Heart Piercer Regiment by himself, but in turn gets gobbled up by, I want to say, the Coral Giant. But it takes the Coral Giant a couple turns to finish the Archfiend off. And the Kraken and the Water Elementals are playing like... A, tiptoe around that forest trying not to get charged and i'm also trying not to get charged so we're dancing in and out of line of sight with each other but at that point harry's just like i got i gotta go i got nothing else that i can do here because you're gonna yeah, you're gonna get, get over points. here with the rest yeah, of your absolutely. army yep yep so he comes in and he does get some points with him and i i use the fiends as kind of a roadblock to kind of get in his way and allow me to bring the rest of my stuff over so in the end, I got a pretty big win out of that. I got a lot of attrition. I think I ended up taking down all the heart piercer units. I think I did get the coral giant and just left the uh, the water elementals and the kraken over there, kind of looking at the rest of my army. So, uh, stroke of luck on the left turned into a, a big win there for me. Sure. And there's just not a lot of tactical choices in kill. You're just like, okay, I got to go get stuff. So that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go get yeah. stuff. And I, I like I hid my gargoyles because I was like. They, they're not going to kill anything, and they're just points, so I'm just going to hide them unless I need them to be chaff. So both my gargoyle units were there at the end of the game still. Wow. See, kill is just so odd. It is that, odd. right? It's super weird. <laughs> Which is funny because we played, around. you know, we, we played Warhammer Fantasy for years, and everything was just a modified kill scenario. Right, Their idea right. of scenarios was set up differently and kill each other, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have objectives, but just kill everybody, you'll get the objectives, and it's fine. Right? Jesus. Crazy. So you just don't build lists like that, and you don't you don't think like that in Kings. No, because you're not rewarded for it most of the time. No, so no was, you're not. It was, it was mind-bending, right? Yeah, it was. And Harry, Harry's awesome. We had a great game, regardless of all, all the crazy luck, but it was still an awesome game. So we had a great time. So I'm happy, super happy about playing him. Sweet. And I'm super happy that he won best sports. I mean, that's legit, right? Oh yeah, for sure. It's awfully, he's an awesome guy to play against. Absolutely is. Yep. Greg, how, how about your, you? How was your? Well, how was your? That was your thing, Greg. All right. So I played against Brian Ring and his Night Ooh, Stalkers. Ring. Yes, and that was. I loved his list. It was um, lots of units. Um, and generally low points costed uh, pieces, except for two uh, hordes of fiends, one with um, Pathfinder and one with Helm of the Drunken Ram, which is a really nice item on them. Uh, and then a bunch of cheap things, including, you know, heroes and whatnot. So it was like 18 units. Um, and it was going to be uh, if we were going to play a game which we decided we would because some people just corner deployed yeah, and didn't absolutely. play a game um, that is true we were like no we're going to play a game uh you know he's faster than me 
because of the fiends and the dread fiends and um, soul flares. So, and he has a little bit of shooting with the mind screeches. So I have to set up traps for him. Basically, I can't. You know, he's not going to let me get charges off because he's faster. So I just have to give him something bad and hope he takes it. And he didn't take it for a couple turns. And then when we did finally connect, it just became a game of trading. And there were a couple moments where it was like, oh, I think I should hold here. And then the dice were like, nope, you're not going to. No, you will not. And then there were a couple other moments where I was like, I probably will die here. And then the dice were like, no, you'll hold. Um, And at the end of the game, when the dust cleared, he was up by about 400 um, attrition points, which was essentially from one of those flips, uh, you know, where it was, I'm thinking I'm pretty good chances I'm going to hold here, and then I don't. Um, And I, I wouldn't say that, the game was decided on luck because the luck was averaged out across the game. It was just the nature of the game where I just had to give him uh, charges and then hope (laughs) that it worked out. Right. Right. Like that was the nature of it. So I lost my 400 points. And then this was where I got a little sad. Um, So it had nothing to do with Brian. In fact, he got one of my best game votes. It was the scoring system. So we played just a, a, you know, 15-5 for a win, a 10-10 for a draw, and then the modifiers were just based on attrition. And I lost by 400 points in kill, and the result was a 16-4, which right. I don't agree with. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we usually don't play kill in our Northeast events. I think Orktown is the only one where it's con- considered, like, on the table, like it might come up. Right. Um, and I'm not, and some people are opposed to it. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just think that it needs to, oh, the scoring just has to work differently. It should just be, the result is a 10-10 and it's modified by the attrition difference. Because to lose by that, I can see that. points yeah. yep. and to only get four points, I'm like, that should be like an 11-9 or a 12-8. Um, yeah, to be that close, I can see that. Right. And it was like, oh, if one of my units had survived or I had killed one other thing, then it would have been a 10-10. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But that that getting four points knocked me out of any chance of like a podium. Um, not that I was going to win, but uh, Brian went on to be fourth, for example. So um, we were both kind of nipping at the heels of the, the top uh, players at the the moment. So that knocks me out and I was a little salty about it. I can see that. I, I hear what you're saying, especially, you know, kill is a, I don't know, a, to, to have a, to your point, right? You lose by two, you lose by 260, you, you lose essentially five points, right? And to lose by a couple hundred more, or 100, 150 points more, all of a sudden you lose another point. But that the 260-point swing makes it so that it's a giant dip, and then the points afterwards don't really matter. Right. right. Kill, kill is one of those yeah. scenarios that's yeah. easily scalable from a from a tie up, right? So it should be easier to scale it and get more medium-based win. 
Yeah, and there's no reason you shouldn't, right? I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I see that from a mathematical perspective, totally, right? So my 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 kill game was against Johnny Johnny Sleeves, and uh, and so I you know we started, and I said you know what I should do is I should take all my defense six crap and hide it in the corner and put all my gooey stuff behind it, and you can't get me. And he goes, yeah, you can do that. And I go, but I'm not going to do that. We're fighting, right? He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and every time Jonathan looked at what I was doing, he went, huh, interesting, right? And so that that was Ditto. the phrase of the Ditto. game, right? Every time he looked down, he was like, huh. And every time he said interesting, I'm like, that means you don't understand what I'm doing. And that's fair because I don't either, right? It's kill. What am I supposed to do here? So I, what I had done, though, is I, I hit a bunch of my regiments in the woods. Um, so I had a wood, I had a, I had a piece of impassable. I had some clear zone off to the right, just between like a 12 inch between the, the right impassable and the, and the, and the board edge. And then I had woods um, to the left of the impassable. And I had another set of woods and some marsh on the left, right? So I took all the sharpshooters, I stuck them in the marsh in the middle, or marsh on the left. I put a couple of the regiments and I moved them up so that they were in the woods on the right. And, uh, and he, so he moves up with all his flyers and, you know, I move up a little bit just to get into the, into the terrain. He moves all his flyers up and they're all facing in all these goofy directions. And I'm looking at, it, I go, yeah, he can't fit here and he can't. I'm fine. There's no way he's going to get 17 flank charges. And he ended up charging every single unit in the flank turn two. And I was like, are oh, no. you, they, everything just fit, Corey, everything just fit. And I was like, are you kidding me? Everything was 19.9 inches in. Uh -huh. And so he goes, I'm charging here and here and here and here. And literally like he got four flank charges and I saw red and I said, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. And I walked away to get a cup of coffee. I come back. I'm like, All right, let's play it out. Let's go. Right. I just, I got my head straight <laughs> and, um, uh, turns out that when you're defense six and you're in the woods, um, even with a flank charge, you're only taking like four or five damage. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then Gallic, yeah, and then Gallic, Gallic says, "Why don't you iron resolve that?" And the Radiance of Life guys runs over and goes, "Everybody's feeling better. Stay, you know, hold fast, hold fast." And you next know. thing you know, I'm getting counter charges and I'm doing and stuff. All that fast shit is locked in then. Absolutely yeah. right. And so one of the other things that happened was he had a he had a a, a regiment of fiends. They're the ones with like thirty attacks or something. It, it mm -hmm. Gross. And uh, he's I, I had a regiment of ironclad and they had, or iron guard and they had been flank charged by phantoms. Um, and uh, okay, bang, you hit me. And because he had just fit, he had just been able to squeeze in between that regiment and the regiment next to him. During his turn, he was like, well, I'll just charge him with the fiends. I said, yeah, that's that's going to suck. That's going to hurt. You know, he couldn't get the phantoms out of the way. He couldn't disengage to make mm. room. And so next thing you know, I go, I go, I don't think you can fit. And he goes, why? I, and he, he's trying to push it in there and he can't make it work. I'm like, holy crap, I have another turn. I'll stand still, <laughs> right? And so all I'm doing is standing there being like, you can't kill me, ha ha, right? Um, until you kill seven other units because everything was in this giant scrum in the middle. Right. And my defense, you know, one of the other things that happened was same thing against the same thing that he did against you, Corey, is he, he was burning through time, turn two. We got to turn six and he had a minute and 40 seconds left. And then he, he rushed through everything. I said, it's all good. Don't worry about it. And we got to, we, he rolled a turn seven. He had like 14 seconds on the clock. I said, I said, I said, John, just take your turn. Just, you're not going to do it. Just roll your dice. Don't worry about it. Like, we're here now. Who cares? Right. And so he did. And 
you know, he thanked me for it. At the end of the game, he was like, I'm really happy that, like, you gave me a game as opposed to just blowing it. I said, yeah, I'm here to fight, right? Like, the placing doesn't really matter. I want to throw dice, you know? I want to, I want to see what's up. Lucky for me, um, because, you know, he bounced off a bunch of stuff. I was able to grind a couple of his units down, and, uh, and I won the game by about 400 points, and I also got 16 for that. So I was like, yeah, the system works yeah. awesome if you're on the winning side. Let's go, <laughs> right? So, so I was going into the last round three and one with a legitimate number of points. I'm like, yeah, maybe I can do some work here. Here we go. Right. Um, and then the last round came and I'll talk about that in a minute. Greg, do you want to talk about your turn, your round five? Yeah, let's do it. So round five, I, I ended the event much like I started it playing a mirror match against ogres. This time it was Corey's ogres and his were also different (laughs) from mine and Josh's. So it was great. Um, we played loot. Uh, Corey, to his credit, also had orc allies that he had painted, although he hadn't specifically painted them for the occasion. These were old models, um, beautiful old models from back in the day. So we were playing loot. He put his uh, orc allies, which was a, a regiment of great axe and a regiment of more axe with orcish skull poles and a troll bruiser, who's a great hero now that you know he inspires everybody and not just trolls um on one flank across from a loot token that was in the woods and i just conceded that one to him basically and i concentrated everything else on the central loot token and then the one that was off to the right and um it was a little touch and go there for a moment but it it worked out there were a lot of swings in dice on this game. I mean, he obviously had one loot token on the left flank. I had the one on the right flank and it was coming down to the the fight over the one in the middle. And um, yeah, there were just some, some crazy swings of dice that, that made the fight for the middle really interesting and really uh, nerve wracking because it would swing back and forth. But for example, I had talked back at the beginning of the the segment about uh, how I could delay a flank with a horde of red goblin sharpsticks, and that's why I sure. did against those orc allies. They all charged in once they had picked up the loot token. They had all charged in, and I was sitting in the the water, so we're all um, hindered. And he rolled. You know, not only was he hindered, but then he rolled below average and did like a total of seven wounds on just an absurd number of attacks, 20 attacks from the Morax, fours and threes, uh, 12 attacks from the Great Axe, fours and twos, and then five attacks from the Troll Bruiser, fives and twos, right? Did like seven damage. So I held, and that, that gave me more of an opportunity to chew through his units, but then uh, I had gotten an opportunity. My Siege Breakers charged his Crocodile Wrangler, and on a four, I could overrun into his siege breakers. I didn't roll the four. Uh, I was like, okay, well, he'll oh. charge me, but I'll, you know, I'll shake it off. I've got Namagarok here to heal. But then he did, um, he did <laughs> 13 damage to me <laughs> on 18 oh, no. attacks, threes and threes. Oh, no. <laughs> and took them off. And I was like, oh, oh, no. Um, so it was really touch and go um i 
ended up getting on uh, turn six, I got the loot token in the center, but I had it on a troop of Red Goblin Scouts, and I went first. So they backed up on the combat reform and so that he was out of range with all of his units. Uh, and then he moved up, kind of like put me uh, in a tough spot and he needed a seven. We got the seven. So then I uh, dropped the token from the Red Goblin Scouts and moved the moved them up forwards a little bit and I moved a horde of hunters over picked up the token and those rebel goblin scouts that had dropped it were protecting my flank and now the only thing that could charge me was a regiment of morax that had finally you know chewed through those scat those uh sharp Legit. yeah good move. and that's that's a that's a pretty much a coin flip because it's 20 attacks coming on me with fours and threes and then he's got the orcish skull pole. He hadn't burned that one, so he's got brutal there. And I, um, not sure if I was inspired or not at this point. I didn't have hardly anything left. I had basically that. <laughs> so, uh, but the dice they rolled back in my favor, and he did something like five damage or five or six damage. He would have needed box cars. He didn't get it. And right. uh, yeah, that was. That was the game. So I I had a narrow victory, um, but it was well fought. And yeah, the dice were just wacky. Sure. That's 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 tight too, especially when it goes to turn seven and you know that's that's the drama, right? So I had um I had the joy of playing Mike Ireland the last round, uh, with his Rackin list. Um, and it was, it was great. It was, it was, it was a really fun game. Mike is good. Mike is cool. It's the first time I've actually played Mike. Um, I've talked to him a lot at GTs and stuff. Him, him and Cat Royer came up for, for, uh, Orktown and they had, what I understand, they had a fantastic time. So I can't wait to, hopefully they bring more battle pilgrims with them, you know, next time. Cause you know, why not? It's worth, worth traveling to. Um, but yeah, we ended up playing, um, you know, on, on the last round he had, you know, everything that you take. He had three hordes of shock troops, um, you know, three three of the weapon teams, uh, three of the sharpshooters, Scud, Lady, Mother Kryza, the Tangle, uh, a couple other things that were, like, super annoying. And um, I'm not going to get into too much detail with this, uh, but it's interesting. Like, he had a, um, what, a death roller? I don't know what they are anymore, what, what the equivalent would be, but, like, the chariot thing that hits really hard. You know, gets an extra D six against against the uh, infantry. So now he gets in at six plus two D six attacks or something. It's it's awful. Um, but we end up playing, and I I got the first turn. All my sharpshooters are there. I shoot Scud. I put a bunch of wounds on him. Uh, he backs up. He can't, and I waver him. He backs up. He can't back up enough. I put a bunch more wounds on him. He backs up enough, and now I need like four. I need fours twice, and I don't get him. And he kind of like backs up out of range. Uh, so he's he's literally in the corner of the table, the only spot where he can stand where I can't kill him. Oh, no. Right? So but he's back there, and it's like, okay, no big deal. You're out of the game. On the left-hand side, I push everything forward, and I kill over the course of the first – like, I move up. 
Then I move up again. Then by turn four, I kill two of uh, all three of his hordes of shock troops are dead by turn four. Wow. So I'm I'm feeling good. I'm like, you can't stop me now, dude. Get ready. I got this token. I got that token, the one on the right. I don't have that, but that's okay because I was only playing for these two in the middle. Um, and at the end of turn six, I have two regiments of Iron Guard that are sitting on sitting on stuff. He charged me on the left. Um, this is so annoying. On the left, I had it, and I backed up, and I backed up, and I was able to back up and get away. In the middle, I, um, I had the token, and he charged me with a hero. And I was like, oh, enough of this crap. Uh, off, the, off on the right, he had taken the, the, the death roller. I'm sure that's not the name of the thing. I can't remember what it's called. Oh, yeah, this impaler. The imp- thank you. So the impeller comes up and it, it, it moves up and it, it, it takes two turns to clear out the crap on the side that I put over there to slow him down. Then he's coming through the middle and it, got, it was one of those things where I was like, I know what he's going to do. But I didn't know what he was going to do. I was lying. So he has the impeller aimed toward the middle of the table. And I have my regiment of, um, of Iron Guard in the middle sitting on the, on the token. I've got like two wounds on me or a couple wounds on me because after I killed everything, he's like, all right, well, all these weapon teams over here and you're going to take 30 shots. Then you're going to take 30 shots again. You're going to take 30 shots again. I got these sharpshooters. You're going to take 15 shots and 15 shots. I'm like, son of a gun. Why did I take this stupid troop of berserkers instead of taking a king with wins? So Oh, no. It's ridiculous, right? So I'm just, I'm, I'm getting shot the crap out of it. But during my last turn, I'm like, you know what? This hero is annoying me. I'm going to go and I'm going to charge it. And I'm going to kill it. And then I'm going to overrun. I'm going to get out of the way of this, this impaler. Uh, funny story. This isn't Warhammer Fantasy where it's, you know, everybody's got 11, 12 nerve. Um, you know, this had like a, 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 a 12, 14 nerve and defense five. And what do I think I'm doing with a unit of Iron Guard? right with no crush so i put four wounds on him i didn't do anything and it turns out that with the impaler's um wild charge he was able to just get in and so he goes well i'll wild charge into the rear of that unit gets in and blows it up so at the end of that he goes well i'm gonna i'm gonna pick that up i'm like that's cool we go to turn seven i shoot the uh the impaler and i kill it and he drops it right on the left hand side i still have the one token um he moves up scud and he flies out of the corner turn seven to the token on the right which i couldn't contest and picks it up and the one in the middle um he moves up the mother cryza and goes and picks it up and oh, both, you know, mother no. cryza has got like nine wounds on him and scud's got 15 wounds on him and i'm like are you kidding me so at turns at the beginning of turn six i got this game in the bag and i make oh, a mistake man. and at the end of it i was like are you kidding me right and so you know it was to be fair like Mike had the worst luck. He'd pick up 30 dice to hit on fours and hit me five times, seven times. So like he should have been doing even more damage than he was. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I'm like, I think I'm playing this right. I think I did a good thing. I'll play right. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah, seriously, right? But I was really glad to to get to play him. Um and it was really cool to have him and Kat up and hanging out. It was it was good. You know what I mean? It's like, hey. Go to a Northeast event is what it's like, right? They're all great. Come on, get up here, you know? Yeah, and I think Crossroads last year was their first event up here in the Northeast. So, yeah, they said they had a, had a blast. And yeah, loved totally. Town. Totally. I know Corey, uh, Corey Walliser played against Cat last round, 
And Cat was like, oh, I got to worry about this. And he was like, listen, don't worry about it, man. No one cares. Just play the game and have fun. Be quiet, right? Be cool. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, don't take ourselves too seriously. Like K2 set the tone in the beginning, you know? And it's kind of like what we're about, you know? We play play competitive, but if, you know, you make a mistake, who gives a shit? Let's go. Right. right. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you want to talk about how you won the entire tournament now that we've built yes, up all this tension? Yes, you, you built it all up. You moved me to last. So round five, I'm playing the master, Keith Conroy, who has been smashing everyone's face the entire event. Like he's been at the top in battle points and has a shit ton of attrition points. I think uh, I think going into round five, he had over 10,000 attrition points. And the next closest person was under 9,000. So, like, man, he's so sick. Killing people. And so Keith's list, if I remember it right, was four hordes of shield breakers. I think he had two regiments of dogs. He had a troop of sharpshooters. He had three of the flame belchers. He had one regular tank, whatever they call Iron Beasts. And then he had Golok's Fury. Had Favor Ironheart. And then he had a. Brock Lord on Brock, right? And I want to see. Oh, and he had a Dwarf Lord on a large beast. That was the that was the yeah, Warsmith. Oh, right, and the Warsmith. Yep. You know, give elite the, all the, the flame, the sacred horn. So a nine yep. inch elite bubble on all that shooting. Right, which camped around. Oh, and he had the uh, the banner of Abbotshire over there too, somewhere. And so that, that guy's just giving elite to the flame belters and Golok. I'm like, ooh, that's so gross. <laughs> so gross. It's a really great combination. He keeps telling me to do it, and I keep saying no. And I don't even know why I say no. It's just reflectively me saying no. So stupid, <laughs> right? So, like, it's, it's really so good. good. It's so good. And the, guy, and the guy himself is sitting there with pistols and four shots. So he's contributing, too. So it's, it's, it's a really good setup. Uh, so I look at the list, I'm like, well, thankfully this is loot, so I have a good shot uh, in a loot scenario against Keith. So as we're putting stuff down on the table, I put my loot token first, so I put it on the right-hand side in the position where, okay, Keith can't put his other token over here, so he can't focus his force. So he's got to put it on the other side of the table. So at least I, I force him to spread out the loot tokens. And the way the table's set up, one side has way more terrain on it than the other side. Like one sure. side has a forest in the middle, a forest on one side, and a large water feature on the other side. And all of these are just kind of just outside the deployment zone. Uh, the other side of the table has an impassable piece that's just outside the deployment zone and a hill that's kind of just outside the deployment zone and a wide open middle. So, and, and then Keith's like, oh, I don't want you to have all the terrain on your side to kind of hide out and encamp it and shoot me. So he takes that side. And I think that was a mistake because what it allowed me to do is where the tokens were, if I get first turn, I can jump on all these tokens and he right. can't see me. He can't see me through two of them because two of the tokens are kind of behind forests from that side. I was like, oh, and. He doesn't have anything fast to kind of threaten me, so he's got to wade through these forests. So I was like, okay. So I start deploying down. I'm putting my gargoyles and the shadow hounds in a position where they can jump on multiple tokens on turn one if I happen to get it. 
And on my left flank, I go hard there. I, I have both the Glade Stalker units. I put a Mind Screech over there. I put um, one of the uh, Impaler units over there, and I put the Archfiend over there behind the Impassable piece so he can't shoot me with the Sharpshooters on turn one. So Smart. We lost you. Where'd you go? My finger slipped off the button Where's again. The button? <laughs> Where's the button? I, you know what the problem is? I talk with my hands. <laughs> so I'm waving my hands around like a, like a fool. <laughs> so in the middle of my deployment zone, I throw the daughters. Uh, I throw another unit of impalers down there. I put Mikhail down there because I want to kind of have him ready to threaten those uh, little war machines if he gets a chance, right? And I put the shadow hounds there in the middle of the kind of at an angle that they can pivot and go to either of two tokens. And then on the far right, I have the um, fiends and I put them up on a hill so that they can charge down and be a threat to all the defense six stuff that's over there. They're facing down favor Ironheart and the regular Iron Beast. I was like, well, if I set them on the hill, he's got to respect them. I've got gargoyles over there that can charge into the uh or go grab a token on turn one if they want and then i have the uh the soul bane on a dread fiend over there as well so they're all looking at each other over there um i scout up and the scouts i was like i can go all the way up here because there's nothing that can get me i'm kind of tucked away behind that forest i can get out there i can scout right onto one of those tokens on turn one and be safe and be in a good spot to shoot stuff um he's got two hordes of the shield breakers he's got a unit of dogs and he's got the brock lord over there i just i'm not as concerned about any of them so i shoot the dogs off on turn one between lightning bolt and shooting so i take them down i claim that token in the middle i have the shadow hounds run up and claim the token in the middle that's also behind the forest because sure with their stealthy they're going to get cover from all the shooting that keith's inevitably going to want to bring on them so it's like if he tries to bring shooting over, not going to do enough to kill him. I've got Mikhail right up next to him. So he's inspiring and he's ready to counter charge right. any of the shooting units that he brings over. So I feel like I'm in a good spot there and I put pressure on Keith. Now he's got to, he's got to recover and try and get there because the only thing he's got in the middle is a horde of shield breakers. That's behind a forest and he's got Golok, who's also behind a forest. And then all the flame belters that are just off center to my right in the middle and i i'm decently threatening them too so he's got to do some work to get at that and that just lets me push right. my units up in the middle i push the daughters up i push the impalers up in the middle so now i'm threatening all that stuff and then i see i i kind of position my stuff on the right to look at the token i don't go claim it i was like you know i want to make him think he has to go get that token so i sit there and stare at it and set up some counter charges coming down off the hill that if he wants to go claim it He's going to claim it, but he can't afford to bring those guys to the middle to help out against the other two tokens. So I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot at the end of turn one. Um, Keith moves up into the forest so he can start seeing stuff, but Mind Screech has had Wind Blast. So, oh, no! <laughs> so really? I, oh, yeah, he's got to so be better than that. I blast, I blast oh. the Brock Lord back out of the forest. So he can't see anything on his turn. Yeah, because that's the thing he you got to worry about. Yep. So right? I was like, that's the, the only, only real threat. Five. Right. Or more. Yeah. Faster than five. So I'm like, I'll blast him out of the forest so he can't see anything again. And then 
It's like, that sucks. That's like, yeah, that sucks. And so I continue to shoot stuff up as I back up. Um, the, in the middle, he brings, he decides I got to bring the, the dwarf lord over on the large beast to start to fight in the middle because he doesn't have anything else over there that's going to be able to get those sure. shadow hounds. He's like, right. okay, cool. I'm staring at him with Mikhail. I got the daughters over there. I'm thinking this is a good thing. Um, I decided to bring my soul bane over there as well. I'm going to start fighting. Um, what are they called? The, the flame belchers. And I right. charge my gargoyles into a, the unit of dogs that are in front of the flame belcher. So he can't get them close enough to start shooting stuff. So basically I hold them back for another turn. So those gargoyles in the center turn out to be the, the all-stars for this game. So because, because I keep wind blasting stuff, I keep wind blasting uh, Golok back as well pushing him back behind a forest, making him waste turns, trying to push up, bring a warsmith behind himself so he can't get wow. wind blasted yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm making a mess of it. Um, on the left flank, he finally gets the, the warriors into a position, one of the shield breaker hordes into a position that they can be a threat. So I triple charge him with both glade stalker units and the arch beam. Sounds right. I don't kill him. I roll pretty poorly. But that's okay. He rolls pretty poorly on the return fight. So we're all still sitting there fighting next turn. Um, I do kill them eventually. The second horde that's over there is really in a bad spot because it's kind of up against the table edge. So it can't get into a threatening position without getting charged by impalers and another unit of glade stalkers. So eventually I do get them. I get the Brock Lord. He starts fighting stuff, but he dies to all the... the uh, hand-to-hand elements that I have over there. So I, I do clear out that flank. I'm able to hold that token. Things are going sure. good. In the center, I he brought the Dwarf Lord over to threaten the Shadow Hounds. I was like, you know what? I can't run away from him because I'm only speed five. So I dropped the token and moved the Shadow Hounds over there because I need to get them out of the way so Mikhail and the daughters can charge into the Dwarf Lord. Right. And the Lord so they, he's got, he's, he doesn't have enough attacks to really... Right, cause a problem. Right. So I just need to hold them up and then I can go back and get the token afterwards with the hounds. And I do a ton of wounds to the dwarf lord as I should, and I double one it. <laughs> like, oh <laughs> that's too bad. That's too bad. So he uh then he can see over me. He charges right around me into the rear of those those uh shadow hounds and kills them. And he's sitting on the token. I was like well, that sucks. <laughs> oh no! So, I was like, and I and I'm not looking at him. I, I was like, oh, I gotta send Mikhail over there to, to deal with him. I was like, I don't have the. I'm, I'm not in a good spot here. It's like, oh shit! So now I gotta scramble to get him. The gargoyles that charge the hounds in the middle, they get charged back by the hounds. Doesn't kill me. Doesn't waver me. It's like, oh well, that worked out. So I combo charge back into the dogs with the gargoyles and the small regiment of fiends and kill the dogs, the gargoyles then slide over D3 to their left, right in front of Golok. So they're pinning him in. And for the remainder of the game, I think from turn three on, Golok fights the gargoyles. Doesn't kill him. They regen yeah, a ton of wounds back. That's how I, got works. Mik- I got Mikhail sitting there. Golok charges in again. Doesn't kill yep. him. They regen a bunch of This happened for three straight turns where Golok's fighting gargoyles and not able to do anything else. It, it's, it was it's right funny. Now, pretty demoralizing. Right now, a tear, a single tear, just streamed down Keith's 
uh, cheek, and he doesn't know why. Uh, <laughs> right? Right? But when he listens to this episode, he'll know. Sorry, he'll Keith. He know why. He does know why. He's like, the I can't about, believe this is happening. The thing about Gallic, and 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 you know, it's a three hundred point piece, and I only use it for defense. But it's all it's good for six wounds a turn, but never more. Yeah. Hardly ever less, but never more. It just because of the way because the way it works. Hitting on fours, starting with twelve. It's really just right. not not quite good enough, you know. But that's not what you use it for. You don't use it to put fifteen wounds on something. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I had to. Mikhail does eventually kill the dwarf lord. Now the daughters have to charge into the uh, unit of shield breakers in the woods. To hold them up from being able to then go get the tokens after Mikhail kills the dwarf lord, um, I bring him. I start bringing a mind screech over that he's going to be the piece that gets that token eventually. Everything on the right is kind of on my right is kind of staring at fiends now, and he's got the iron beast and favorite iron heart and a big horde of shield breakers there. That's all in a stare off, and the stealthy's coming up big because all the shooting that he's pumping into me isn't doing a whole lot because I'm stealthy and hiding kind of behind a hill now. So that's working out in my favor. The soul Bane is working his way through the, uh, the, the flame belchers, but I'm not, I'm not rolling great either. Like it's taking me two turns to kill each flame belcher because they're defense five, they're decent nerve. And the whole time I'm getting flank charged by that stupid little battle driller. <laughs> so I, I do eventually end up losing the soul Bane because the battle driller just keeps Pegging me sure. in the flank over and over again. That and guy's I, a jerk. Like I, it is a jerk. And I was like, well, I need to get the flame belters. I can't worry about him. So in the end, I have to get enough stuff over. I throw the arch beam into those shield breakers in the middle because they're starting to kill stuff. And I don't have enough pieces to take that token and get out of dodge. Uh, the sharpshooters, I do eventually get a flank charge on the sharpshooters because I, I hit them with a lightning bolt and waver them, get lucky there, and they just sit there and had to take a flank charge from some Glade Stalkers, so they cleared them out. So that was the Glade Stalker unit that had the token, so that puts them in like Keith's deployment zone behind a building, so they're untouchable. The, the Mind Screech comes over and eventually does get that um, that token in the middle and then starts to walk also towards where those glade stalkers are into keith's deployment zone behind the building and i'm just throwing stuff at the shield breakers and in front of goal lock to keep them from being able to shoot them or to charge them off and that works right. out well so i'm like feed them an arch beam feed them a unit of glade stalkers feed them some impalers feed them another mind screech so right. in the end i'm able to get away with two tokens he claims the last one and we were both getting pretty low on our clocks because there was a lot happening in this game from turn one on so I forget to move the fiends <laughs> away from his um, other iron beast. And he does, he gets like a front and a flank charge with favorite iron heart and the iron beast doesn't kill him in one turn, but wavers him and then kills him the second turn. But at that point they're too far out of the game to help contribute to getting tokens back or anything like that. But it did get it did get some attrition points there. So in the sure. end, I was able to block him up. Keith did run burn out his clock at the, on turn six, but uh, I think it was just because, you know, the 69-minute clocks were a little tight for 2,600 points. Yeah. But it all worked out, and in the end, I was able to get the two tokens off to my side. I lost on attrition, but I think it was like a 14-point win or something like that. 
because I was I was just throwing stuff at Keith at that point just to keep him from being able to get at my tokens at that point. So it was a good game. I think I played Keith in cool. like the last three tournaments. It all worked out very, very well. And came home with the ass. Well, that's what happens when you're both really good. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Yeah, and I just think Keith made Wait, some mistakes. Congratulations like deployment. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> you know. Have you uh, have you fired fired the old girl up yet, or have you? Uh, I, ha- I don't have. I have wall. What do we got? I, I'm actually working on a mount for it now. I'm gonna make yes. a mount and put it on the wall. So yes. it's def it's definitely a centerpiece. I was like, yeah, this is going in the game room. That thing can is I, freaking can, cool. Can I make a request? Sure. The request is this: whenever there is a Masters, a U.S. Masters event that is within driving distance for you. I want you to bring that guitar. Don't take it out. Leave it in the case in the car. (laughs) If you become the U.S. master, when they announce you, you're going to walk out on stage with that guitar, and then you're going to smash it. (laughs) Oh, no. That's epic. Totally appropriate. Just keep it in a case. I like that. Break in case no, of master. Yeah, yeah. So you know, no disrespect to to the the fine folk at at uh, Nuke who put this beautiful uh, work of art together. The odds of you smashing it are pretty low. They're but, not high. That's for sure. <laughs> but if you did do it, it would be amazing. That would be pretty epic. A pretty epic celebration, no sure. doubt. Right. <laughs> So sounds like I need to get a case for masters. Clearly, right? So to recap, um, congratulations, right? I mean, it's you know you you you, uh, you beat five great opponents, and uh, you, you know you, you obviously deserve the win. I think you're the only person who went undefeated over the course of the weekend, right? I am. That's true. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. You know, getting getting close to your old three hundred days again. Right? I guess it's coming back, right? And that's washed up. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I just to, to put another plug in, I mean, we talked in the beginning of the cast about how amazing the, the event was. Um, I mean, one of the other things I want to mention is you're out on the Cape, so you're eating good and you're, I mean, the food is amazing. The oh, ice yeah. cream is great. Um, there's a couple of good bars in town. It was really quite, quite good. I know on, on a Sunday after the event, uh, Corey, you and I, and, and and a couple others guys from the whores and and, and and melissa were able to go to an irish pub in the middle of the cape and had a great time there you know on sunday night and it was just it was really nice to be able to hang out after the gaming and before the gaming you know it, it really made a difference yeah i think that's the constant amongst all the the northeast events is like there's always a good hangout like the set friday night saturday night in this case there was a few of us that stayed till monday so I was able to do stuff sunday night after the event too and yeah, it's worth that. Doing. That's special stuff, right? I like that. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, best ice cream I've ever had. Oh my god, ridiculously good. I think I had it. Melissa said you had it four times. I was like, I know I did. <laughs> so good, so <laughs> gross, so good. Right? <laughs> but I, uh, I, and I, I want to take the opportunity to, um, to say that uh, this was the last event um, that the Great Con is going to be at in the Northeast for a while. Um, he's he's moving out of the region, and he's uh, we're going to miss him. Invade new territory. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're going to miss him a lot. We're gonna, I I I really enjoy 
I really enjoy him a lot, and he's he's a good dude. So it was nice to get to know him. You know, yeah, I was I was very grateful to uh, have been able to play him again in the event, and uh, I'm I am confident that is not the last time uh, our paths will cross, or that we will um, meet on the field of battle. Right, I, and that's one of my regrets is that I never got the chance to play Con when he was up here. And he one of a kind, one of a kind, bro. So Florida, going, Florida, get ready. That's right. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know, Rice. You don't even know. I mean, it's Florida. They might know. <laughs> <laughs> he is a Florida man now. That's true. Right? Florida, Florida at heart. There are not many things that it would surprise you uh, to see in Florida. So it's true. But. Well, Corey, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, all you folks listening out here and um, impressed with Corey's accolades on the tabletop. If you're coming to masters, you might, you might get a shot at, uh, at uh, playing him. And of course, Mike and I will also be there. Uh, we've got an episode coming out next month and I guess we haven't quite decided yet if it'll be pre or post masters. So, um, we'll see what we think. We'll talk as a host. And if you have any input as a listener, if you want, um, something else to get you excited for masters to come out beforehand, or if you want something hot off the presses when we get back, uh, you know, tell us which you would prefer. But uh, thanks again for listening and uh, have a wonderful day slash evening wherever and whenever you might be. Later, buddies. Bye, everybody. Later.